Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Be There in Five podcast. I'm Kate Kennedy. Hopefully you are coming here from part two. This is part three of the Mormon Mommy Blogger series, third and final installment. And if you want to know more about me, I encourage you to listen to episode one of this entire podcast or heck, why not make your way through the entire 70 something episode catalog of hours and hours of me and occasionally a guest rambling about what I like to call meaningful discussion about meaningless topics. In this event, we're actually talking about something that I find rather meaningful, which is exploring something that may seem trivial in nature, such as a a topic like bloggers or influencers, but digging into it a little bit deeper to uncover what's the connection between the people that we are most fascinated by being of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, what has to do with just the qualities of bloggers, period, and what about this world is soliciting this level of intrigue that I think is unparalleled um, in terms of obsessing over influencers within a certain uh, group. And the first episode was kind of a stream of consciousness of, you know, the world of influence and as it relates to the apparent prevalence of uh, mommy bloggers in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, particularly in the fashion and beauty and lifestyle world. They're, the perception I have of like their impossible good looks, their F.U. new construction money, their business empires, their children that pose for pictures and are behaved so well, you know, they're they're intricate ponytail braids and really just have a lighthearted discussion about how some of these women are shaping the world of influence one gratuitous butler's pantry at a time. Then, you know, in the second episode, I wanted to take a deeper look at, you know, was I correct about any of the ties between the faith and my impressions of how they live. Um, I wanted to read listener feedback about what I was correct about and what I wasn't correct about. I wanted to also kind of take a deeper look at the implications of, you know, the this projection of perfection that lies within a faith that seems to prioritize appearances, perhaps not by gospel, but by culture. And in this episode, I wanted to talk through some of the um, you know, stories, scandals, tragedies that have been big topics of conversation in my circles of the internet. If anything, not to report anything new, but to kind of summarize um, how they went down, what the response was, what we know, and to not exploit anybody's situation or make a spectacle of it. Rather, everything I'm talking about are things that people revealed on their own channels, in their own words and opted to include the public into the dialogue. So in this episode, I'll talk about, uh, well, this isn't like a scandal or anything, but just a recent thing people were talking a lot about. In terms of uh, a very uh, quick engagement that in the first episode I suspected and I was confirmed since it aired, then beyond that, getting into um, some tougher stories involving a uh, blogger, who randomly posted one day that she had to annul her marriage under mysterious circumstances about the Paul Swenson case that was incredibly sad about a man who disappeared and then about the freckled fox in which, you know, my interest is so much less in the aspect of her becoming a widow and her late husband, which is incredibly sad. And I have nothing to editorialize about that, but rather some events that occurred afterward that have been interesting to digest as a reader and follower over time and uh you know i may or may not have one brief uh, soapbox moment as it relates to 
firearms in the house with children. So anyway, I hope you enjoy this episode. I try to do the best I can. There's so much information out there and it's very hard to draw a line between like what's speculation, what's just snooping, what's baseless information based off of an alleged source behind a handle on the internet. So I try to keep it pretty high level, try to summarize, add in my own context where I can, but you know, keep it fair to the coverage that is basically out there and what that was provided to us by the people themselves. As I said in the last episode, not a journalist, not a reporter, but just like you guys, I live, I laugh, I love, I lurk, and I love a rabbit hole. And this is my summary of a few various rabbit holes I have been down in recent history, whose common denominator all happen to be that they are members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, which in the last episode I was corrected. Mormon is not the proper term using it in this episode because for continuity, because that's what I incorrectly called the first episode. However, if I use those terms, it is because an article or whoever is 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 referring to that. And I don't want to paraphrase. So, OK, the first thing that I wanted to chat about that was interesting that happened since the first episode was the engagement of a sister of one of my favorite bloggers. I talked a lot about in the first episode. Um from a family of four that's so everybody's so fascinated by like they have their own like tv pilot and i pray that this show gets picked up again i think it would be wildly entertaining i think they're interesting i think they're cute and i like how close their family is and i think it could be a mormon kardashian situation sorry church of jesus christ of latter-day saints kardashian situation and um you know there there's some bloggers that i don't know it kind of like don't identify with their personalities or they seem a little bit manic or off to me but then there's this subset that just have this like peaceful energy that it, it's it seems boundless like amber filler up like emily jackson like rachel like um uh naomi from love taza who i did not talk about but i a lot of people were like you didn't talk about her and i'm just not a, a long-term devout follower and i want i was trying to stick to people that i actually am like fans of because I have, you know, like I it's not pure snark. It's actually coming from a place of like, I've followed you for years. Like I'm a consumer. You're monetizing my eyeballs. This is my perspective. And um, I am sorry that that's a big blind spot. What I do know of her and having like, I think, five kids and living in New York City, which I assume is some sort of smaller apartment situation. I know her husband was in banking, but now works for her full time. They lived in D.C. They lived in New York. And um you know, there's a romantic story about them meeting on a street corner. But then one of my listeners was like, well, that corner is like where the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is. So they met at church. But I mean, I guess it's technically a corner nonetheless. It's just funny anecdotes like that. And like she is kind of very well known for um, using her kids a lot in her content and in her ads. And maybe one of the more original uh, combiners of their the kids and the personal life and the monetization that maybe didn't always sit well with people, but she's extraordinarily successful, very cute, very boho, breezy fam, very much that energy of like, how the hell are you pulling this off again without coffee or wine? And um, I think people are very fascinated by her, not only for being her, but also I gather there was some perceived tension between her and another heavy hitter in the uh, church blogging world who has since kind of quit, which is Hey Natalie Jean FKA Nat the Fat Rat. There's a pretty interesting article on The Cut that's worth reading about her, you know, career trajectory in terms of starting out very early on as a blogger when she first got married and then having to move around with her husband and having a kid, uh, leaving the church, ultimately getting divorced, walking away from blogging. It's 
a great example of how like we're we're in it. We're in your life. I mean, we're, you're revealing personal information out there. And when we read it, we're invested in your story. And the um, person writing the article kind of capture that's captures that really nicely. So I just, you know, decided to leave it to people that I follow. I like and that I feel are just crushing it. And my opinion has absolutely no bearing on their life. Which brings me to, you know, the other person that people love, love, love to follow and talk about quite a bit because she is very interesting as a woman named Shannon, who is also a mother of four, pregnant with her fifth. She is a blogger. She is young. She is a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, though that has absolutely nothing to do with who she is and how she behaves. I don't have an extensive background. Um, I was alerted to one story that I think is worth telling because it uh, <laughs> it just made me laugh really hard. It, it's so culturally insensitive. I, it's shocking. And I can't believe it, it kind of speaks to the danger of an insular homogenous environment in terms of, you know, going across the border and just thinking that every, you know, step you take your life is in dire threat but really you're at a five-star resort it's fascinating really and beyond that i even you know discussed because i i don't know there seems to be like a vulnerability there a volatility there like i said that i feel like a big part of you know a what i was doing this is i called it mormon mommy blog empires because i wanted to focus on the people that have blogs but also brands and that are just seem to be killing it and my fascination lies in my um what I perceive are, you know, largely positive aspects of their life. I don't really want to like relish in anybody's, um, you know, misfortune, which I know is confusing because I'm talking about some tragedies later in this podcast. But the difference to me is when somebody uh, comes forward with their story, puts it on their own platforms and informs the public of it themselves versus watching somebody continuously make bizarre concerning errors and passing judgment on them but when the person themselves is perhaps not aware of it it feels different you know what i mean i like i i need there to be some acknowledgement of like this is what's going on from the person's social media it a little i looked a little into it and, and it, it you know it was different it was a bit concerning you know very very cute family a lot of interesting decision making as it relates to to her children I think things have gone too far. And I think some someone on the Internet was like had a hand in like getting CPS called, which is insane. But then like she posted uh, she insta started a photo of the caseworker, which pretty sure is not allowed, given the uh, importance of discretion and confidentiality in any work you're doing with minors or children. I mean, it's it's kind of honestly hard to believe at times. But um, anyway, I I just don't know enough about it to speak intelligently to it. And I um, certainly don't want to cut somebody that might already be down. But a, a listener emailed me this story of her visit to Mexico with screenshots. And I was crying laughing. It is so rampantly culturally insensitive. And, you know, feels fully fair game on those grounds. She went to Oaxaca, Mexico, to a five-star resort. And she starts to story, you know, about how when she goes to foreign countries, she usually just stays in her resort and she never leaves until the day she flies out because, you know, everywhere that's not America is, is so dangerous. Then she starts to post 
I guess she was like out and about. She So she leaves the four walls of the resort, talks about how she doesn't usually do that for her own safety and um, proceeds to walk by like some meat or something and vomit or like says she's going to vomit and is really sick and like gets rushed back to her hotel and then complains about being sick and like throwing up 20 times. But not clear of what if it was just smells or what exactly happened. But then she starts to do research and post screenshots of her googling the oaxaca poverty rate it's like okay like i don't know I, I, why google that i mean and beyond that why post that it's one thing if you are curious about you know, and concerned for the well-being of the citizens of the place you're visiting but rather she uses it to prove her point of why she's so miserable there and why she is scared for her safety so I guess at some point she does leave her hotel, but then upon seeing more of the Oaxaca area and Googling the poverty rates, she sees that it's the third most economically marginalized state in Mexico. It has 3.3% of the population, but only produces 1.5% of the GNP. Would love to hear um, more insight from her on the GNP. <laughs> and uh, she says, culture shock alone, no service, mastitis, homesick, never crossed border by myself alone, going home. So she goes to the resort and she posts from her room that the hotel says it's five stars, but she's somewhere in between the movie Taken and The Handsmaid Tale. Uh, Taken is properly done in quotations, which I respect, um, you know, formatting of proper nouns. But then The Handmaid's Tale is actually... Well, it's called a handmaid's tale, but she says the hands made tale and it's pronounced it's spelled H-A-N-D-S-M-A-I-D-E, which is a different take. But it's it's basically a photo of um, a chair under her window, a couch moved against her door. And she claims to have set a booby trap for, um, you know, her own safety because she found out that people are poor in Mexico. Ugh, alarming on so many levels, um, you know, but then it's like, OK. It's, it gets to, reading through this i'm like this seems manic like it it's one of those things where it's fine if you want to explain to somebody your vacation experience but to insult you know leaving across the border as being primarily unsafe to look up poverty rates and suggest that's a reason you're scared and should go home and that you have culture shock like sorry not everybody's as fortunate as you i mean, also keep in mind oaxaca is like a vacation destination it she is on a fully paid blogger trip to a five-star resort and even if you i looked it up just to be sure i was like okay i don't want to speak out of turn maybe you know i don't know if she was legitimately scared but indeed according to google as far as crime goes oaxaca is one of the safest states in mexico oaxaca city in particular when compared to other urban centers remains a friendly small town vibe i mean i guess you know what they say is true there's no such thing as bad press because if anything color me intrigued i'd love to go but like, it's, it's truly, it's not, I don't know, it's not clear to me now what she was so freaked out about and or the reason for like channeling Kevin McAllister in Home Alone and setting up a full on booby trap with like chairs and couches cartoonishly blocking, you know, entryways. It's it's kind of hard to see what, how sophisticated this trap is, but let's just say it's not exactly on par with Hallie Parker levels of booby trap sophistication. All the accoutrements of a of a proper properly set up booby trap, as one does when they go to summer camp, meet their long lost twin sister, and decide the best course of action is to indeed torture her. So anyway, this woman goes on 
to say that there's just no way she can continue in such dangerous circumstances. She decides that she needs to go home and posts a text about how she broke her contract. And it says, honestly, I felt blindsided by this whole thing. I thought I was going with blank. Then I found out I'm not even you were here. Then I'm in a creepy church convent with zero security in the middle of the streets. I've only gone to Mexico and stayed in a resort behind gates and major security. It's out of my comfort zone completely. Then I got sick and barfed about 20 times and I feel like I need to leave. The person says, Shannon, you signed a contract that says something on it. You're signed. You're staying at a five-star hotel with a guard and a tour guide. (laughs) With that being said, if you feel uncomfortable, you are free from the contract. I'll assume the rest of the cost for hotels and activities. Just pay your way home and you obviously won't get paid for the week. Your safety and well-being is my top priority. Let me know what I can do to get you to the airport and home safely. You know, this is why people won't give me a discount on hotels. Like, this is what's giving, you know, travel influencers a bad name. And while I don't really intend to be one, all I'm looking for is just a, you know, a partially comped wine tasting uh, tour of Italy where I can do tasting notes for for relative to uh, pop culture stories. Or I want to find people who, you know, have some cash to burn and want to subsidize the the total cost of uh, be there in five below deck charter. Uh, The word on the street is they're still looking for people. And they are filming in Mallorca. And I do think this is something that would be, you know, the opportunity of a lifetime to be on the inside. God hoping that Aisha and, and Jack are still there. The, the loves uh, truly I, I forget Jack and Rose. I need Jack and Aisha. They are my true seaside large boat romance for the ages that I just can't get enough of, even though I'm mad at them for defending Travis last week, which I was just informed of. And I watched this morning and yikes, yikes, yikes. Anyway. So she tries to get out of her contract and um, says, can I pay one of the boys to drive with me in the car service and they can ride back with the driver back to the hotel? Pretty, pretty, please. And you'll never hear from me again. I just can't be alone in this country. Can you pick me up a machete? (laughs) I mean, like, I like what? What? Like a freaking machete? I mean, I watch 90 Day Fiance. I know that in the depths of the Amazon where Paul, you know, went to see Karini, the camera people, Karini was, you know, robbed at machete point. And some guy took her phone and the the camera guys and producers said it was like one of the legitimately most scary things that have ever happened when they've been filming. Like, you know, crime exists, obviously. But like this is a American small white woman that does have a security guard that would have a driver that really is in Oaxaca. It's it's a it's a vacation destination. She's at a five star resort. And I gather she's texting the person that is responsible for like coordinating the trip. I don't know if it's some sort of influencer agency. I don't know if it's the resort itself. I pray to God it is not a citizen of the fine country of Mexico because to say pretty pretty please you'll never hear from me again i just can't be alone in this country can you pick me up a machete i mean would you would you guys go straight to machete i'd sooner carve my own shiv out of a can of dos Equis than ask somebody and offend them that th- these surroundings this st- stunning environment that they're th- the only you know reasonable way i could defend my you know tiny self is by getting a ginormous, you know, single-sided broadsword knife meant to chop sugarcane and clear underbrush. It's just a weird decision for a weapon and a weird question, period. I'm focused on really all facets of this. But then uh, 
the person she's talking to fortunately does not acknowledge this, though I kind of wish they were like, yeah, no problem. I mean, like, <laughs> also, is she really going to go after? That's scary, too. It's like this this the first person you see that, like, says hello or, you know, doesn't look like you. Are you going to go after them like their sugarcane underbrush? Like, no, that's awful. I mean, there's other ways to keep yourself safe. And again, you have a driver. You're like, she, she, she'll be fine. Can you imagine what the person on the other end of this was thinking? You know, like how rude for somebody to offend like that. It'd be so offensive to say like, you know, your country has something contagious um, called poverty. So, yeah, I need a sword. Again, perhaps the craziest thing is that she's posting these screenshots. That's what I mean by my, my concern with the level of awareness is like, you know, it's that she doesn't even know she's being rude. She doesn't even know it's crazy to ask for a machete. She doesn't know that these spelling errors are wild. And she doesn't know that, like, she's exhibiting some seriously xenophobic behavior by having absolutely no proof that as to why she should feel unsafe other than some meat smelled. And she Googled that there are poor people. You know, it, it, it is very, very odd. And so she since she posts the screenshot, not realizing she's being insensitive and a bit out of line. Um. After saying, can you pick me up a machete? The person says, we have a shoot scheduled. I can drop you when we leave at blank. After that, we have to be somewhere an hour away. And she simply responds by saying, knife. I want to travel with it. And screenshot. So it doesn't acknowledge, you know, the productive logistics based response. But again, drills home that she needs to travel with a knife. So, you know, there's that. I thought that was worth sharing. I got a kick out of it. Uh, Again, this that has nothing to do with her religion whatsoever, just the common denominator of being a part of the same church as some of our favorite bloggers. But moving on, speaking of our favorite bloggers, as you know, I do love the Scala sisters. As I said earlier, I have primarily follow Rachel and Emily. I think what they've created with their brands is cool in terms of having something that lives beyond their social channels and their blog. It's very smart to brand, to start a business, to start generating income that isn't solely based off of your personal life, because that inevitably gets a bit harder. The older you get, the more your family grows and the busier you get. I, If I were a blogger that started when my life was uncomplicated and now I were, you know, in my 30s and having kids and stuff like I just would not be up for sharing at the level I once did. And I'd imagine at a point sometimes people get sick of it, but also you never know what's going to happen with Instagram, just like Vine went under. You don't want to put all your eggs in that basket. So I respect what they've done with their businesses. I'm very interested in the Ivy Lane leggings. I don't, did I talk about this earlier? I forget. <laughs> they just look comfortable and they look like they suck you in like the Spanx leggings, the leather ones that I'm such a big fan of. I also think that developing your own brand, I think what what happens with um, people like Rachel or Amber is, you know, you get to a point of success, of wealth, of established, you know, very quickly because of your fans. And inevitably, your life becomes less and less relatable. That as a long term strategy in terms of engagement, sustainability, that can hurt you in the long run because people just aren't at your level. That's what happens. I What I think happened to Jacqueline Hill she went from being like just a girl, you know, on the floor in her apartment working at a Mac store in the Chicago suburbs to literally just posting, you know, shelf after shelf of Chanel bags in various 
primary colors and like just showing off all of her things. And it's just so gaudy and it's so unnecessary and it's needless. And it's kind of frustrating, too, because we're like, well, we loved you because you were just like us. Now, I think that there's different reasons people follow blogs. Some are for relatability. Some are for aspiration. Some need to be a balance of both. I think that from the get go, some of the um, bloggers that were members of the church that already seemed wealthy, you know, prior to having any sort of blog revenue stream, a lot of their popularity, I think, is rooted in how beautifully everything was set up, the beautiful photos, the editorialized photos, the, you know, picture perfect family life at a much younger age than, than the national average, all the things I've talked about. But also in, in developing a brand, you're you're giving people an opportunity to invest in you in terms of a product that they think is high quality, that they respect you for making. And you're giving yourself a vocation outside of influence that enables people to A, take you more seriously and B, will have legs and have life beyond just Instagram or whatever. Because I just I do not see how people are going to stay in favor if they just get richer and they just get more free stuff, because that's what drives people crazy. And what's so confusing is like there's an exchange of value, right? There's an advertiser who wants a certain amount of exposures. Your blog, your Instagram yields those exposures. They will pay you a certain amount and or give you that amount in free product for an even exchange. So but to the consumer, that's not really always thinking of that value exchange. It just looks like you're getting an entire set of free patio furniture, which it frustrates somebody who's, you know, pinching pennies, who's just trying to get by, who's trying, you know, who would love to save up for one twelve hundred dollar umbrella, but would never get that many for free. The problem is they're forgetting that there's another side of that where somebody's built something that has a currency attached to it in to the tune of thousands of dollars worth of patio furniture, because at cost, giving somebody the products probably equals what they'd be spending in ad space anyway. So it's very confusing. It's it's off-putting regardless, I think, you know, when you just feel like people that have a lot get more. I say that to remind people, you know, there is a reason that the space is valuable. And if it weren't for product, they'd be getting cash. We just see the product. And then the other weird part about blogging is you click through and you see the price of stuff in people's houses. Whenever I go to somebody's nice house, I'm like, damn, your house is nice. I don't know what things cost because it's kind of private. But again, bloggers are in a weird position where they showcase their items and do swipe ups. And when you see how much they cost, we're not seeing the discount. We're not seeing if it was free necessarily. And therefore, we're just like, oh, my God, no one could ever afford this. Are you insane? And or how are you already doing so well and crushing it and making so much money and still getting more stuff? And, you know, I don't blame anybody. I feel the same way. I mean, look at me out here tap dancing, talking about people for several hours that I don't even know. But we're all just doing the best we can with our unique set of skills and interests in mind, just having to be lurking and talking. But yes, I also am very, I do think that um, fun, cheaper, freeze Moses bag looks intriguing. I'm not a mom, but the infomercial sure as hell sold me. I was like, there's gotta be a better way. Um, and I think barefoot blonde is awesome too. I am a person that desperately wants hair extensions, but just feels like, I don't know, scared of the, even the potential of looking like I have hair that resembles that of Darcy on 90 day fiance that we get to see a little bit more up close when she takes a 90 minute horse bath at a Heathrow bathroom near baggage claim. So anyway, <laughs> I digress. My, you know, one of my fave families that appears to have 
it quite together despite the absence of coffee and wine are the Scalas, and Meg is the sister of Emily Jackson and Rachel Parcell. She's very cute. She is young. She goes to BYU. And um, as I noted, the, the, her engagement was live-streamed. We watched it. We enjoyed it. It happened like on a little like pier in a gazebo. It was very sweet. Uh, it was noted that he was suddenly absent from her social media feed, and she went inactive for a period of time. Either in May or June, I'm th- I think it was June when maybe people started catching on. And then another guy starts showing up in photos, goes on vacation with them. Since we were kind of brought into the first engagement, it was kind of like, well, what happened? And I think anytime someone deactivates, deletes photos, you know, it's pretty clear. But I didn't know if they were engaged or not. That was my guess in the last episode because somebody was, I think, just Googling um you know, who is her new boyfriend? Like, is there like a post about it or something anywhere in their registry came up for an October wedding? Her first wedding to the first guy that proposed in, I believe, April was supposed to be around August, like 13th to 15th or something. And oddly enough, that is the same time she decided to post the news that she is indeed engaged to a guy that she connected with on June 1st. I think I don't know if I read this or somebody thinks this. Uh, This is unfounded, but I'm pretty sure it took place at the end of July and they waited a bit. Weddings in October, you know, it's one super fast paced courtship to the next. Something very similar went on with her sister, Emily, but I didn't follow her at the time. But Emily and Rachel kind of put in their two cents to talk about her engagement. And because I think a lot of people are like, whoa, that's really fast paced. So we know her last engagement was called off sometime in May. The last known photo of her hand wearing the ring on like her brand's page, I guess, is like May 27th. People say her ex liked her photos up until June 11th, but I don't really like when people base, I don't know, information off of likes, comments, follows, unfollows, because I think that, you know, even tweets like there's so even yesterday it was like Jack's unfollows all of his castmates da, 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 and then you go look it up and if you search in the search bar he's he, you know he's still following a lot of them but i think sometimes it's more of a function of the search bar not working so it's hardly news but anyway who knows what that like was i don't know if it necessarily suggests that there was any overlap of any kind uh maybe if anything it suggests they're cordial i don't know uh so people are interested in this because obviously the quick turnaround and um you know the long period of time where people weren't really sure what was going on. They saw him in pictures. They assumed she had moved on, but probably didn't expect her to be engaged this fast. I feel two ways about this, despite it not really being my business, but also kind of is because she told us all. So Emily, her sister was like in our culture, we're not sleeping over, um, you know, we're not living together, etc. to kind of explain the expedited timeline which I thought was interesting because that's it doesn't it doesn't really explain it you know like the the quick timeline because that's no reason to get married faster is because you're you know you want to have sex or you want to cohabitate I mean also sorry my like computer fan is driving me nuts and it's so hard to cut the ambient noise out of the background I apologize if it's choppy but I have to power through because to wait for my computer to cool down would be hours and I want to um you know be able to get this out these are the perils of um amateur podcasting that you know are important to be understanding of 
if uh, you're consuming something virtually for free, because I'd love to use a studio. Can't afford it yet, but hey, here's to hoping. It would be so nice to leave my dog <laughs> to be able to go in the middle of the night, maybe bring a glass of vino and just really feel like I'm, I'm delilahing it up, you know? But anyway, yeah, I mean, marriage is about so much more than having sex and coexisting under the same roof. And well, let me read to you what she said, because I do feel two ways about it. I love love and I'm happy for people that are happy. And I certainly am not some sort of weird troll that's trying to cut things, cut people down. But I want to explain why I think the importance here, you know, obviously the reason people are so interested is because of the expedited timeline, the quick turnover between guys, the, uh, you know, wedding being supposed to be in August, but now the new one with the new guy that she still just met is in October. You know, we watched her get her wedding dress, her wedding shoes. Then we saw her sell her wedding shoes. There was two rings. Um, you know, there's, I've, I've, I've been keeping tabs on the jeweler because I love what they do. I do think the jeweler did delete the first ring off of their profile. But I was I was Googling them a while back because, I don't know, I think I wanted to figure out if they're like a Neil Lane Lorraine Schwartz situation. But they are Salt Lake City based and they were quoted in like a local magazine being like, people are pretty conservative here and we have a leg up because, you know, dating, courting, weddings are really fast uh, in this culture and weddings are recession proof. So, you know, that's great. And I was like, well, at least he's calling a spade a spade. Because, but he's exactly right. Like, it's it's not it's no secret that this is. um both statistically and anecdotally a little bit different from how things work in the world outside of what appears to be a high concentration of members of the church in Utah and surrounding areas. The engagement photos are very beautiful and happy. She says, life is a crazy way of working itself out. And you got it something in store for me, but I never anticipated it to be this or be this incredible. Over a year ago, I got set up in a double date and Zach ended up being the guy from the other couple. I remember thinking, where did he come from? How in the world have we never met before? And why is he dating this girl and not me? Kind of sucks for the other two people on that date. <laughs> Little did I know he was thinking the same thing. We both went our separate ways and didn't connect till June 1st. I think she, I think she knows that people are probably wondering. I, I actually quite appreciate the date acknowledgement. Um, then she talks about how she wasn't into checking, posting, or updating Facebook. She had the biggest feeling to download her app, and she's so happy she did. She found two messages from him, one in 2013 and one in 2019. Not sure when that was. I guess June 1st. Um, from that moment on, we texted all day, every day, and FaceTimed every night. A week later, when he was back in Salt Lake City, he asked me on a date. We went on a paint night. We painted butterflies, which ha had been a huge theme and significance in our relationship. We were so surprised, and it was the best first date I have ever been on. It felt so natural and happy the whole time. Each date after that got better and better. The best way to describe it and our whole relationship is serendipity. I've never had bigger butterflies or felt more like I am right where God wants me to be. The rest is history. And I'm happy that he is spending that I'm spending the rest of my life with my other half, et cetera, et cetera. Very sweet young love. So there's limited comments <laughs> that which is smart. Uh, so yeah, I think that like the reason I call that out and I call out what Emily was saying about in our culture, this is how things work is because I think that that's the delineation that's fine in your culture, but in the, you know, event you're influencing a large portion of other women, 18 to 24, or even older, I do think it's important to note that 
in the real world, the likelihood of, you know, meeting someone June 1st, being engaged by August, being married by October is very risky. It's the, the only thing that really can help you understand if you are the if you you and somebody else are right for each other, not only to be in a butterfly, lust filled, exciting early stages novelty period of a relationship, anybody can have that. But the, the what creates longevity is a partnership, is a mutual respect, are, are pillars of compatibility that must be there in order for a marriage to work. I think that in outside of the church. Um, these things need to be figured out. And the only way to figure them out is time because, you know, the best way you can, marriage is kind of a gamble, but the best way you can get, you set yourself up for success is to, you know, beyond your baseline connection, which is of course important, but also what's important are a vast array of experiences, both positive and negative. So you can see how you endure them together. You can see how each person reacts. A lot of people can talk the talk. But what people say they are going to do versus what they actually do are very different. And I think everybody owes it to themselves and their heart and their safety to ensure that somebody's actions align with what they say, their intentions, their goals, their characteristics, et cetera, are. You need to see them for yourself firsthand. I think what's different about the Church of Jesus Christ and about Meg and both the expedited speed of the engagements and the fast turnover is. A, the priority uh, in the church of, even though the scripture does not explicitly say you must get married young, it's certainly structured in a way that uh, prioritizes singles meeting people. They're singles wards, like I mentioned in the last episode. They're split between 18 to 30, 31 plus, without getting too far into it. The language I was reading surrounding it is very much rooted in getting people to be together in activities to encourage the uh, coupling up of people within the church so they can start families because children are what is the ultimate fulfillment of God's plan and the gospel, not my words from a general conference. And this is a big priority. People in the church also take a vow of chastity until they're married um, and also cannot live together until they're married. I was reading the handbook for a missionary to, I was reading like what characteristics are required for somebody to be baptized. And basically, if you are in a relationship and cohabitating outside of a marriage, you have to like separate and live apart before you can get baptized. And um, you also cannot be having sex. If so, you have to repent and then you can't anymore until you're married. I mean, there's this whole thing. I did get emails from people that were dating members outside the church, but those people did not live in Utah. Just worth noting. But beyond that... It makes sense that in an environment, you know, if if two people are grown up in the same church and not just like broad strokes Christianity, but the same specific church with the same specific beliefs that have these very apparent early and often taught values of family life, of a, you know, patriarchal structure of early marriage of children of many children of faith of going to church constantly of church involvement of tithing of you know there's all of these values that are so intertwined with the church because the level of involvement required of people that are members of this church is so high they ask a lot of their members and and it's impossible to really separate their lives from the church it all kind of flows together and i think that people that grow up within this environment probably a very similar baseline values and concepts of family structure and 
areas that are likely quite compatible with one another just because it's simply a very small homogenous world with very strict rules that if you're already following you probably don't have that complicated of a background you probably don't have much like dating history or jealousy or like relationship baggage you probably have similar families you probably both come from money you, you know what i mean like there's just a lot of not that everybody has money or whatever but like my uneducated guess is that these marriages work in this expedited format because there's less room for error when you are coming out of a nearly identical life situation and don't have as many complexities to work through prior to getting married. Because I think a lot of what couples have issues with are kind of these fundamentally different concepts of of money, of how to raise your kids, of when you want to have kids, of uh, how you handle finances. A lot of people hate their in-laws. A lot of people have you know, complications with where they want to live or how they view faith or if they want to go to church, how they want to raise their kids religiously. I mean, there's so many issues that can arise in a relationship that have to do with the very things that the church already dictates for you. So therefore, if they are telling you how you're going to live under these certain set of circumstances that are all very important things to make a marriage work, it's no wonder the marriage works. It's no wonder they don't need as much time. All that said, I don't, I think it's so important when messaging is like, it's meant to be, we're soulmates serendipity butterflies all of that is great i just don't want other young women thinking that that is an adequate time period in which you will get to know somebody and should decide to marry them and tether yourself to them for life i'm not trying to get on a soapbox i'm just simply for even for safety like in this dirty john world i have people very close to me that dated people for three four months and had no idea they were sleeping with other women within hours of them that they were introducing their daughters to multiple women, that they were lying through their teeth, that they were at the bar when they said that they were visiting their mom in the hospital. Like, true true garbage humans exist. And sometimes the most charming and the most, you know, disarming and impressive people that seem uncomplicated and just irrevocably into you off the bat turn out to be a little bit sociopathic. Again, that is a blanket statement, but I've seen it happen at least three or four times with my friends. It's very scary. And I do think we need to be putting our mental health, our safety, our hearts, our well-being first and our hopes for being swept off of our feet second. You can be swept off of your feet and it can be very romantic, but please, for the love of God, use your head. If it seems too good to be true, it's probably too good to be true. Do your research. Google the crap out of them. I don't think it's weird. I think it's smart. I think doing your due diligence in an era where we're meeting strangers on the internet is imperative. And, you know, might it spoil some aspects of the first date? I guess. But I'd rather you have you do that than, you know, get yourself in a dangerous situation. And um, I know I'm like going off the rails now, but I don't know. It's just like it's a, such a romantic story in their specific context that I'm sure will work. I just don't think it should be used as an example of how people should approach relationships if you're coming from two different places and you're two different people from different families and different areas and different backgrounds. That said, um, I wanted to, you know, I didn't want to speak out of turn completely and be like, she's so young, this is unusual. Uh, or say, you know, they haven't been dating long enough, this is unusual. I wanted to have some, you know, evidence of why I think that this is a bit fast and not just speak from my own personal experience because I'm trying to do that less. Um, and I pulled the Facebook group who has, which has like 1500 members. 
569 people answered and I had people answer the buckets in which um, they got in terms of how long they dated before getting engaged. 88.9% of the people dated at least one year. 59.9% of people dated at least three years and only Two people in the entire 569 dated for less than three months. 22 people dated three to six months. Um, But the large majority were over a year and even larger majority were over three years. And I I am in the camp of five plus years, which was, I believe, 23.7%. But anyway, I just wanted to point out that the, you know, one year mark being almost 90% is, is, I think, a helpful guardrail for why people are so fascinated by this and even if anybody within the church is listening and they're like why do people care why is this weird all like it's it's fine it's it's if it's fine if it's normal in your world but there's just an it's important to acknowledge that everybody's normal is a little bit different and that even mine is different and it's not necessarily right so i wanted to pull a cross-section of people to provide a little bit more context and for further context my group is uh specifically it's about 88.5% women, 25 to 44. So these are people in like this modern time that likely got engaged within, you know, give or take 10 years who gave me the amount of time they dated beforehand. So anyway, all that to say, we can move on. I think it's total fair game to explain why this is an outlier relative to a lot of other people that are around her age group that might be very taken with the story and why their situation it might be worth considering that it is a bit different from hers not to discount her love story but rather to showcase kind of what i'm trying to do here is connect the dots of why this works for them why this might not work for us why are why do we feel like we're a bit different but at the same time we're being talked to like it's very common okay so moving on um the the next portions like i'm trying it's it's very it's hard for me to know like everything that happens uh, from memory and I don't want to misspeak so I might sound like I'm talking slow and pausing because I'm kind of trying to read my notes and talk through it to make sure I'm saying it right but also you can al- always click like and I know in iTunes you can listen on one and a half percent if you want to speed this up and have it go faster I just would rather you know take it slow than be completely wrong so first I wanted to read an email I got alerting me to a family with kind of this broader scandal that i was aware of but i didn't understand the tie to the broader kind of influencer crew and i remember thinking something was really off here but didn't know the details and i got an email from a listener that explained all of this and it was incredibly helpful real quick before i forget i forgot to mention you know the real the real star the real champion the real thing that has gotten me through the you know hours and hours of editing of this podcast and that is wink i don't have a lot of sponsors i don't work with a lot of advertisers i work with rent the runway unlimited because i love it and i use their service please use kate 40 for you know 80 dollars off of your first two months that is also in the show notes with a link but um because i'm obsessed with that and i don't have to shop anymore and on my entrepreneurial budget it makes all the difference but Aside from that, I the other company I've been working with is Wink, which sends you four bottles of wine a month based off of your, your custom taste profile, where it asks you questions that kind of helps to gauge 
your palate. And I think they put together this proprietary quiz that is able to direct them to what you will likely enjoy in a wine. And it'll ask you questions like, how do you like your coffee? It gives you five choices. How do you feel about salt? How do you feel about citrus? And then you can pick among the four how many whites, how many reds, and it sends them to you consistently each month, four bottles. And the first month you can get $22 off. So it's kind of like the no brainer. Um, and I use my own code. Um, so I really should like get more free stuff if I'm honest, but I don't know. I insist on being able to write the copy for these ads. And we all know so far that that might not be going great, but that's okay. Because honestly, I really like the product. It's all wines that you get for under $15 each that are worth well over that. They're small producers. They're interesting varietals. They're things I wouldn't have necessarily bought. For example, I did not know I was into a Chenin Blanc. I did not know that that wasn't from France. And the one I got was from South Africa, which resulted in a very embarrassing wine tasting video that is on Instagram. But I'm learning. As I said earlier, let's add a, thir- let's add, let's add a fifth L. I'm living, I'm laughing, I'm loving, I'm lurking, I'm learning. All well drinking. And really, is there any better place to be? So go to trywink.com. That's W-I-N-C trywing.com and take the palette quiz and then when you check out put in code be there in five it's actually the number five this time so b-e-t-h-e-r-e-i-n number five and you know watch it shave 22 dollars off the old order and realize oh i'm getting four bottles of wine for the price of like one and a half it's kind of like one honestly one bottle of vanderpump rosé which i am loving these days which i'm not happy about but you know, we can't, we don't choose who we love, you know, and um, it is crisp as hell. But anyway, uh, please drink with me. Go to trywink.com, take the palette quiz, code be there in five, get $22 off, and let's talk about it. Tell me what you like, tell me what you don't. I am learning a lot and I'm having fun. And honestly, I would never get through recording hours and hours of my own voice if, <laughs> without it. So thank you to Wink. Let's drink. Back to the podcast. I was talking about an email. I got from a listener that helped me sort through a situation I was vaguely familiar with previously. This person said, I wanted to bring a couple people to your attention. Destiny Thompson, 260,000 Instagram followers, very prominent in the fashion mom blogger community. She's a 26-year-old mom of three. She's sort of low-key about the church, but after moving a million times because her husband is in sales, she built a mansion in Utah. Cassidy Anderson is Destiny's little sister, who at 19 married a fellow man from the church who left his mission but quickly returned, got her pregnant. And this is kind of hard to follow. So there's Destiny, her little sister, Cassidy, McKaylee. Am I saying that right? Then there's McKaylee Anderson, who's Destiny and Cassidy's youngest sister. She got called to Oregon for her mission. She got thrown a going away party. She's ready to go. She never leaves. A few weeks later announces that God has taken her in a different direction. And that she's now dating Cassidy's brother-in-law, Cassidy's husband, Tanner's little brother, Spencer. After a few months, they are engaged and married. Um, okay. So the important thing that cause at first I was like, huh? But uh, there are different biological fathers here. Cassidy and McKaylee have the same father and then the oldest sister Destiny and the brother who I haven't mentioned yet Jordan have a different biological father so basically family of four Destiny Jordan Cassidy McKaylee two different fathers still a family that are were raised by the same stepfather um 
So this is already kind of a prominent family in the blogger space and the influencer, you know, public space as it relates to being from the same church. And Jordan, the brother I briefly mentioned, he, again, I'm reading from his email, all allegedly, all from a source. Um, She says, Jordan, the brother in this family, marries a photographer that's part of the church named Brittany. All the sisters are in her wedding as bridesmaids and she's in theirs but she doesn't show up to McKaylee's wedding. She takes an Instagram hiatus. As you know, she returns months later with a bizarre story that she won't go into detail about, but refuses to take off the ring until the annulment is finalized. Okay, so this I did know about. I had no idea that this was like a broader um, Instagram-centric family, but I remember like they these most beautiful wedding photos kind of all over Pinterest. She was a smaller scale blogger, but... Um, had like a really great blog and talked so much about her then fiance then husband and yeah so honestly one of the more picture perfect people i had become aware of and again you know it's like somebody's gonna reach out to me and that's like vaguely connected to these people and say something but here's the thing there's a blog post that announces the annulment of her marriage. Like this is, this is public information. This isn't like needless sleuthing. And um, I think it's like a really important watch out for young women as well. And while I know there's two sides to every story and I may not know it all of beyond these, the email I got and the information I've ascertained over time about these alleged events, I think it's just an important watch out for young women in terms of knowing who you marry and getting married quickly. And she seems like a really nice girl and I feel so badly for her. And anyway, long story short, they got married June 10th of 2017 after a four month engagement and August 9th of 2018. So a year and change later. She posts to her blog, BritLamore.com, legal disclosure of our annulment is the title of the post. And it says, my marriage is currently in the process of being annulled. Um, I've decided to do this not because I feel obligated, not because I want attention and absolutely not for any ulterior motives. I've been praying about this constantly for the past three months. And I know that this is a very large step for me in moving forward in my healing process. Please remember that I am a real person. We are all real people. And I intend to be real with you guys always. And also so that I can be real with myself, depending, despite how painful the acceptance of reality may be. Due to recent and continued horrific discoveries, Jordan and I are currently in the process of our marriage being annulled. The annulment will be taking place upon the grounds of fraud and misrepresentation. Further information cannot be given due to legal circumstances. I've never experienced more excruciating pain in my entire life. I'm doing all that I can and pulling from all that I have to be strong. I ask that we both be respected with privacy and time to heal, etc. Um, I do want to make something very clear. I do not intend to talk poorly of my husband, his family, or of anyone. So if that is what you're looking for, p- please feel free to unfollow me. Uh, she then says she doesn't want any negativity toward people um, and then says at this time, I plan to continue taking time away from social media and will remain prayerful regarding when I will return. Thank you for your love, support, and prayer. So this was August 9th when she takes time away from social media. But she actually had not posted since April 28th of 2018. So on August 9th, she mentions again, like, I'll, um, you know, be spending some time away. But then on August 9th, she posts again why I've come back to social media. So 
I don't know, I guess she decided that from the response to the annulment post, maybe she decided this would be better for her. And she said a bunch of stuff about why she's come back. One is doing what she loves again, working with brands, content creators, blah, blah, blah. And then she also says her healing process. She says a large step in my healing process will be removing the post from my husband and I of my husband and I on social media and my website. Even as I'm writing this, my heart aches even thinking about this next step. Such a large part of my life and such a large part of me and my heart. Tears are falling down my cheeks as I'm typing this. I didn't realize how hard this step would be. I know that I need to, though. So in my own timing through the Lord's strength, I will. This is what's a bit confusing to me. It says, however, I do want to make something very clear. I am still married and I fully intend to respect my marriage and the vows that I made to my husband on the days of our wedding and also the promises and covenants I made with my heavenly father. For this reason, I have made the decision to continue to wear my ring until the annulment is official. I have a long road ahead of me in my healing process, but I am determined in faith that I will be able to find complete healing, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And then she talks about how big things are coming on her blog and to follow and stay tuned and how she'll always be honest with people. So this is what's tr- what's difficult is like, so people are reading this. She's like, I want to be open. I want to be transparent. But for legal reasons, she can't disclose anything. It, it kind of reminds you like Bethany and Jason, like we'll slowly information will slowly trickle out. But we're like, what on earth happened that he could be, you know, that that this divorce has been going on for seven years, that it's it's so hostile. And, you know, anything you say can and will be held against you in court, I assume. And given her public position, I'm sure he and his family don't want her, you know, speaking about this publicly, but like she is. So, you know, without any without her reporting on any of this on her blog, like we wouldn't be aware of what was going on. Um, And she did a post about why she still wears her wedding ring, which like, again, I this is she feels like she made a commitment to god that until the annulment is final she should be honoring and like she she's never at least not to my knowledge clarified if the annulment was final or publicly said herself what happened i don't know if it's still going on and i'm sure i'm missing something because i don't follow her that closely but when this happened i followed her because obviously in the communities where you know, people are interested in bloggers. This uh, like illegal disclosure was like a major topic of conversation. And what it made a more big topic was a an annulment, not a divorce and B on the grounds of fraud and misrepresentation. So again, not doing anything invasive because you, I reading this blog post that's still up. Why I still wear my wedding ring. When you go to the comment section, from a it's a bunch of people being like are you ever going to share why what happened what happened why divorce why not divorce why annulment da, da, da. and then um a, one person over a year ago said guys just google his full name and utah and it will pop up and this comment was not deleted okay you google utah and his full name what comes up jordan hart's arrest information for utah he was arrested uh may 8th 2018 remember she took a break on social media from april 20th 2018 to august 9th 2018 august 9th is when she said the past three months have been traumatic and she had been on a social media break for almost three months to the date so on may 8th 2018 he was arrested at 3 45 a.m for context he was 23 years old and when you scroll down to see what the charges were it says statute 
76-5B-2035A, distribution of an intimate image. I mean, like, I, I don't even know. What, wow. Uh, horrible. It's so odd. Like, it's an interesting charge. It's a specific charge. It's the most easily Googleable thing ever. So it's interesting that she can't talk about it. And also, like, in the context of this being some sort of thing where it's related to her and an intimate image of some kind. And she, of course, in her faith values chastity and likely waited for him and, you know, has a sacred covenant with her husband that she's upholding and for him to be doing something behind her back involving their intimate life is so sickening, disgusting, like what the emotional toll that would take on you to feel like your body and something that's sexual in nature was used without your permission is like truly disgusts me to my core. And I don't know any information beyond that other than when you look up the Utah state legislature with the, the kind of thing I read earlier, the statute it's chapter five B is sexual exploitation. The section 203 distribution of an intimate image penalty it says distribute means selling, exhibiting, displaying, wholesaling, retailing, providing, giving, granting, admission to, providing access to, or otherwise transferring or presenting an image to another individual with or without consideration. Intimate image means any visual depiction, photograph, film, video, recording, picture, or computer, or computer generated image or picture, whether made or produced by electronic, mechanical, or other means that depicts an exposed male or female genitals or pubic area with less than opaque covering female breast with less than opaque covering or any portion of the female breast below the top of the areola or the individual engaged in any sexually explicit content. So it could be any number of things. Uh, My concern is from a post March 9th uh, titled Full Trauma Response. And it says... um, I've decided to really open up with you guys and share that my situation has taken a devastating turn. As my healing has been progressing, there continues to be discoveries and incidents that throw me backwards. Recent discoveries and further education regarding my situation has caused my body to go into what is called full trauma response. Essentially, my body is trying to shut itself down because of the severe trauma that has been and is currently undergoing in the attempt of not allowing my body to receive any further trauma. It is in survival mode. I recently experienced a terrifying panic attack, unlike anything I'd ever heard of or experienced, after some things had happened in these last three weeks. It resulted in the paramedics coming, immediately hooking me up to oxygen in preparation to take me to the hospital. It's a post about telling people they aren't alone, with anxiety, with PTSD, trauma is real, all this stuff, which, again, I'm, I'm proud of her for using her platform. The circumstances are so mysterious that I'm still just like, yikes, if for things are still developing things she didn't know like she said i'm there's further things i'm just now being educated on about my situation her situation is you know publicly googleable distribution of an intimate image i don't really know what was going on but it's like it's so sad and awful and like she really is sweet and cute and seems so faithful and well-meaning and um i think a lot of what attracted people to this situation is kind of like you know in the face of trauma going to social media is kind of an interesting response right like i what i'll talk about next with ashley swenson i think is a similar thing where it's just kind of you know brit took three months off which makes sense but upon her announcement in return 
it's like the public just became aware of this is that this is going on period and now the rollout of your social media return <clears throat> we don't we're not feeling the pause right so i think people were like what's going on and like to talk so publicly about it but also also withhold information while we understand legally is it's just going to make people like snoop and wonder and i know people always want you to respect their privacy but like it's just this weird balance of you know if you don't if you don't want any speculation don't put it out there if you put it out there there'll i think you deserve to be uplifted by the positive feedback and support but um you know you can't be surprised at all your comments are like what happened girlfriend it's been a while i i think that like oh you know what i actually forgot so she also on uh she posted a video on so remember the annulment like legal disclosure came out august 9th and she posted a video called meet the new me august 21st and she changed her name from britney hart to brit lamore and it's this whole video that's like 22 minutes long about her doing a personal rebrand and how she you know loves her birth father and her stepfather and she always felt torn between two names and then she doesn't she feels very overwhelmed at the time or felt overwhelmed at the time by how the process of changing her name because she associated her married name with her you know current identity so she chose to rebrand to brit lamore i don't think she legally changed her name to this i think it's kind of her internet persona because she was looking at words like faith and hope and love and stuff and nothing felt right till she saw love in french hence lamore so that's why her name went from Brittany Hart to Britt Lamore, and that's what her website is called. Um, so anyway, I mean, that's that. I have no other in follow-up information. Um, I remember reading about this last year, thinking it was so odd. And um, I don't know. I've thought about her a lot over the past year, just like, it, I, I just wonder what's keeping her quiet. I wonder if it's finalized. I hope she's okay. I hope she's able to move on. I hope people aren't harassing her. I know I'm publicly talking about it here, but I would also ask that like, I mean, I am on her side and I don't know if she can tell her story. And, you know, that's where I get concerned with the expedited marriages because, you know, with that comes people that are probably not sincere, that are questioning, that are just in the church because that's the only thing they know that maybe don't feel like they have the ability to speak more freely about their feelings or who they love or what they're struggling with. And it's very easy to just go through the motions, as we know a lot of people do inside and outside of the church. Um, when, you know, whether you're 18 or whether you're 29, whenever your reference group, religious or otherwise, is all getting married and having kids, inevitably you feel like you know, that's what you should be doing. And you're comparing yourself to that situation. And I think in this case, it just seems more normal when everyone in your reference group's doing that, when uh, you have similar values, interests, and are, you know, compatible based on the most important thing to everybody, which is church. And from my understanding, at least, uh, there was an interesting interview with uh, the the guy from, is it Dan Reynolds from Imagine Dragons, who actually still is Mormon, but also did the HBO documentary Believer. And he was telling Ellen that um, the, the depth of, of commitment and belief in uh, their faith, literature, prophets, etc. He could best illustrate it by saying that he asked his mom if there were two train tracks and I was tied to one. And Joseph Smith was tied to one who was the founder of the restored Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. 
um, from 1830. If those two people were on train tracks, oncoming trains, you can only save one. Who would you save? And she majorly hesitated. And he's like, even though I know she probably would, if presented with that situation, the fact that there was so much hesitation, hypothetically speaking, and that she struggled, she like couldn't say it. It just goes to show you the depth in which these people are are committed. Okay, moving on. So another interesting case of somebody perhaps not being who you think they are is a very public case, a widely covered case, and a case that I'd argue got the general public so involved and withheld so much information that people were just like, obsessed with it. I remember when this was going on and I want to be so clear. This is a tragedy. This is somebody's husband. This is a widower. I don't know the details of what happened. And it's so incredibly sad when the outcome is is tragic. And I don't want to make a mockery of that in any way, shape or form. You know, similarly to how every podcast in the history of time is true crime related is, you know, murder, death, et cetera, related. I don't normally cover this stuff because I always do feel weird about it. Uh, but I guess the the you know, conventional thought there is it's a public case, especially when people are publicly looking for people. And, you know, especially because you can learn from the mistakes of other people, you can learn from other people's stories. And the bottom line is anything with human interest is intriguing, especially with such a pitch picture perfect looking couple. Uh, so this is a case of Paul Swenson. I'm actually going to read from the GoFundMe page that is still live. On July 27th, Paul Swenson went missing in Salt Lake City, Utah, under suspicious circumstances. Unfortunately, the initial investigation has not provided credible leads. Our estimated daily cost to continue our critical search is close to $2,300 per day. In order to keep our effort and momentum moving forward for the next 10 days, we are pleading for your help. Also, even though we are hopeful, we do not know what the future may hold. We want to ensure that Paul's wife of six years and his sweet seven-month-old daughter are well taken care of as we strive to return Paul home. We would like to... Share a sincere and heartfelt thank you to all of our family, friends, and outstanding members of the community, et cetera, et cetera. And then there's a miss, missing slash endangered poster of Paul Swenson, age 30. Um, Paul Swenson was last seen during the afternoon of July 27, 2017, in American Fork City. Reports indicate Swenson may have been suffering from an acute medical or other medical condition just prior to leaving. Like What? The vehicle Swenson was driving was located unoccupied under suspicious circumstances early in the morning of July 28, 2017, in Salt Lake City. The vehicle was a black four-door 2016 BMW X6. He was last seen wearing a heather gray shirt, black pants, black jean pants, and black Converse shoes. Um, okay, so those are kind of the high level. The GoFundMe was created July 30th. He went missing July 27th. But what was $15,870 of the $23,000 goal is still there, and it's still up for some reason. Uh, I don't know what, apparently, I don't know. There's different theories of who started this GoFundMe and that she didn't have anything to do with it, and it was his friend or whatever, but, you know, jury's out on that one. Okay, so what was particularly interesting about this case is that Within 24 hours of going missing, there is a video posted on Instagram and YouTube of the wife, Ashley, who is a blogger, and her mom and her daughter, full hair and makeup, you know, 
talking about how joyful Paul is and him becoming a father and pleading for him to like come home and telling him that everything is fine. So this presents a classic like Gone Girl situation where Ben Affleck, <laughs> I didn't read the book, <laughs> um, was so unsure how to like work with the media and was not very eloquently spoken and, you know, wasn't reacting how the public felt he should be in this situation. I mean, little did they know that he there was like a different situation going on behind closed doors that made him suspicious. But he ended up looking guilty because he didn't really behave the way people wanted them to. This video of Ashley and her mom and her daughter, her and her mom are in full hair and makeup in like full cute outfits, layered necklaces, hair is done. I mean, they look sad and distraught. And I don't doubt for a second that they were. But within 24 hours, I mean, usually people aren't even considered missing persons until 24 hours after. But to not only take this footage, get ready for this footage, and then have this footage edited, it is so professionally edited that it it looks like a um it looks like a wedding video trailer. Like it fades in and out. There's these like really crisp images of lifestyle um videos of her announcing her pregnancy, of her giving birth of like it's it's the footage of them hiking i mean they videoed a lot of their lives quite professionally and in high resolution probably probably because she's a blogger but it's just it's it's like these i mean i can't describe how when i saw it i was like this is way too professional and (laughs) way too polished and they're i just i just don't understand why spend the time doing hair and makeup you know, even though like it's, you know, for a lot of people, second nature, whatever, I just feel like typically people do look more distraught and or the priority wouldn't be that video because if Paul's missing under sus- suspicious circumstances, what are the odds he's getting on the Internet? What are the odds he's getting on social media? You would think like in those precious hours, that would not really necessarily be your top priority. What I understand is that they needed to spread the word to help find him, spread what he looked like, get people boots on the ground finding him. That makes total sense. But the inter- to do that, you, you, you can spread photos and you can spread information about him. But the, the conversation about who he was and about telling him to come home, it just was weird. It just didn't sit well with people. And who's to say what their intentions were? I'm sure like she she could have been encouraged by somebody to do that. It could have not been what she wanted. Who the heck knows? But the reason it was kind of weird at first is because about a month and a half before then, she had posted an, an entry on her blog entitled Monsters Are Real. And while I do know that it has been edited, and I but I don't know how much, it's from... June 28th, 2017. So he went missing July 28th. Well, I think it the evening of July 27th declared missing um, July 28th. And the video went on YouTube July 30th of them pleading with him. But I could have sworn it was on Instagram within 24 hours. Maybe it was 48. This is why I'm not a journalist. Please just be mindful that I'm piecing together small pieces of information from the Internet. But regardless, it was like 48 hours from being declared missing. And it was still kind of a lot considering 
in those first couple days or when you, you you can probably you assume you can probably still find them and like you just are so much more focused on the hunt i'd imagine and like piecing together things than you would be on being like yep he's missing you know what i mean i'd kind of like wait a minute before i was like oh something's really wrong but uh this blog post june 28th a month before he went missing says Monsters are real and they live in the darkness and the trials of our life. They are in the pain and the sadness of not being able to get pregnant. They are in the gut wrench of a rocky marriage. They are in the lies and betrayal of your best friend and husband. They are the gossip you can't escape and the rejection that no one wants to tell your alk of to you about. A lot of typos. Interesting to edit it and <laughs> yeah, correct some typos. But this first paragraph is what's important. Monsters are real. They live in the darkness and the trials of our life. They are in the pain and the sadness of not being able to get pregnant. They are in the gut wrench of a rocky marriage. They are in the lies and betrayal of your best friend and husband. They are in the gossip you can't escape and the rejection that no one wants to talk to you about. She was 24 at this time. And it goes on to... Say, I know my name has been in your mouth and I know what you must be thinking. I've thought the same things before. Why would she stay? She must not know. But guess what? You don't know what we have been through and you know what else? You think you know what you would do in a situation until those cards have been dealt to you. You think you know, but you have no idea. TM, all rights reserved, the real world. You know what's also been... What's also real about monsters is that they aren't really real. They only exist if we give them power and I'm taking back my power. Monsters turned out to be just trees, totes. It's okay to sit in the darkness. Actually, it's a part of life. I've been there for quite a while and I know it pretty well. There will always be darkness and we always have to sit there. It's part of the healing process. But the best part about the darkness is the light and joy that proceeds. It's crucial that we find that light. Crucial isn't bold, but I also, also do need to tell you it's um, C-R-U-T-I-A-L. It's different. Um, it's about, you know, darkness and light and difficult times about social media being a highlight reel. Um, and she shares in a, a Brene Brown quote and then a Beyonce quote, to be fair, respect. <laughs> Those are two people I would take advice from. Uh, and it says, my choice is to love, love for myself, love for my baby, and love for my husband and family. There's nothing weak about love. She talks about her choice to stay. And I don't know. It's, it's what I've never understood about this case is what happened before that was semi-public that led to a public addressing of it because this is like very much speaking to somebody and i don't know who it is i don't know if it's her husband i don't know if it's the best friend or whatever but i mean a i can't believe this is still up b even though it's slightly edited i can't believe it still says uh, they are in the gut wrench of a rocky marriage. They are in the lies and betrayal of your best friend and husband. It, 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 it's interesting. Like, I, I don't know. I mean, all, all I tell, sorry, I'm thinking while I say this, the only thing I'm taking from this is like an in public admission of somebody of him cheating and likely with her best friend. I don't know what else a betrayal would mean. And I don't know who her best friend is. But it is was obviously while he was missing, very notable that this girl is a blogger. They have the kind of token picture perfect uh, relationship and her being honest is amazing. And I appreciate this blog post, but it does uh, present a position where they're 
you know, the, the public is now aware of somewhat of a scandal in their marriage that uh, in turn makes the situation all the more suspicious while he's missing. What it would have been more suspicious is if she decided to take this down while it was going on before he was found. But, um, you know, something important to note nonetheless. I was reading her one of her first blog posts after this whole saga. Uh, she was 26 when he went missing. They got married in 2011, which would make her 20 years old. Little bit young, if you ask me. But again, I'm not here to judge, just here to encourage you to get a vast array of life experience uh, prior to tethering yourself to another. They have the cutest daughter. I mean, th like, this is so sad. It's like, it, it, oh, I don't know. It's just sad on so many levels. I'm not saying that the blog post is any damning evidence, but it certainly was a big part of this search when it was going on in real time. So what there's there were a lot of interesting things about this case, one being that post, another being um, around that same time, he deleted all of his social media. So obviously there was some sort of scandal going on here in that the when he first went missing, the police issued like a very straightforward statement, very comparable to what I said on the GoFundMe, like generic who he is, what he was wearing, where he was last seen, that he wasn't making sense, a lot of withheld information. It was so everybody in their community, like there was like news videos and like people in full hair and makeup, like passing out flyers, like it just the whole thing. It was like this big community and involvement, which I would hope any community would be involved in finding one of their own. That was beloved, but the I don't know, I guess just because the vast majority of us aren't used to seeing, you know, such a polished and organized search effort. It was it was definitely interesting. So there are a couple weird things that happen. The well, a the car being found with a backpack of stuff that isn't his and B where the last place is cell phone pinged, which there was no trace of him. But they did find that the car was now in possession of a group of minors and that the alcohol and, you know, drug paraphernalia and clothes in the car that were not his were these kids and that they had run into Paul at a gas station. And he asked if they would trade the car. If the, he said he'd give them the car in exchange for his bike, this kid's bike. I mean, beyond weird. Obviously, this he was trying to run. I mean, there's, I, I don't really see a way around that. Like, here, take my BMW and so I can get a bike. He didn't want to be traceable. He wanted to just like ride away. So the search lasts for 17 days with very little information, a lot of false leads, a lot of commentary on like likely there being drug usage um, that was refuted by the family. The so long story short, after 17 days of searching, his body was found dead in Salt, South Salt Lake on August 13th. And the, the no one really knows how and when he died and um, or no one knew how he died. But I don't think anybody still knows when he did. Um, and if there were like any missed opportunities to save him or course correct in the process. But the commentary from his wife, Ashley, was very vague uh and that so she would she talked to police several times the night he disappeared um an officer said 
she had mentioned Paul's behavior had changed since December, and Paul's brother had expressed concerns that Paul is mentally unstable for one reason or another. And then vague friend sources who really know said he used marijuana occasionally and had also used mushrooms. I just, yeah, I mean, topic for a different day. On the scale, in the grand scheme of things, drug-wise, THC is nowhere near a threat in terms of how behavior is altered. Nowhere as close in like addictive properties as you know opioids, heroin, etc. But so I just like they just mentioned marijuana so much, and I just don't really uh, feel like that explains anything. But I don't know about mushrooms, and um, she told the uh fox news fox 13 news in salt lake city that he wasn't really diagnosed with anything but she knows that the day he went missing something was definitely off and this is what's always confused me it just is like on that okay so paul went missing on july 27th according to the police report he told friends multiple times at 2 22 p.m on july 27th he would die on that day paul expressed concerns about his health but 2 22 p.m came and went he had an appointment to meet with a therapist later that afternoon. And Ashley said, I thought, you know, it was a great thing he was going to talk to him and hopefully, you know, whatever he was going through, he would talk about it. But Paul never showed up to the, the appointment. So I, that I, I remember at the time was people were kind of like driven crazy by like, why would he tell people he was going to die? Why was he acting off? What happened since December? Had there been any, you know, like, is there provable knowledge of a history of drug use and what types and what quantities and, you know, what else had he been doing before then? I just feel like there was no supporting or helpful information other than like just he seeming generically off. But like off isn't telling people you're going to die at a certain date and time. That's like psychosis. Very different things. And um, anyway, so at. Uh, Paul never showed up to that appointment. Then the missing persons report shows that his phone was last used at 6.45. And at 10.45, the BMW locator indicated Paul's car was in a certain west part of the city. And at 11.30, the Salt Lake City Department, with assistance from BMW, located the abandoned car. And then when the family arrived, they noticed that some of the personal belongings in the vehicle weren't his. So that's when it became suspicious. But in the days that followed... You know, after hundreds and hundreds of people pass out flyers um, and, you know, go and go off on on the Internet trying to search and find answers. Um, I guess tips were like pouring into the police and like they have to take everything seriously, but uh, they never at like a single point in time had a solid uh, confirmation that people saw him and where he was. But what they did have was a backpack in the back of his BMW that didn't belong to him. That's what I said earlier. It led to several juveniles. And when they told him that Paul wanted to trade the car for a bike. See, that's like another thing that I um, feel like I need more detail on. Like, what was the extent of that conversation? Did the juvenile say he seemed any sort of way? Also, like, even if somebody offered to trade me their car for my bike, I'd be like, no, there's a catch. It's like, you know, probably... It's going to be like a speed situation. Like, I don't know. Why are you abandoning the car? There's something wrong. And also, you know, I guess you maybe as a juvenile, you don't understand how titles work. But like, I, you know, you'd pretty much be accused of like stealing a car. But I think the sort the sightings that were credible were ultimately the ones that were the tips that said he was riding a bike before 
that information came out and he uh, the police believe he was alive for up to seven days he was found in the river like face down they id'd him from an id in his pocket with his clothes and his tattoos I've seen some things that say that they never figured out whose backpack that was. And some people said it was the juveniles who traded for the bike. I'm not sure on that one. And um, they there were no obvious signs of foul play. There were no significant wounds or blunt force impact. Uh, the body was slightly decomposed, but they still think it was alive for up to a week. And what was particularly interesting was all of the conspiracy theories going around and largely one that the family called bogus was you know potential drug involvement obviously there's an opioid crisis going on in america really but utah as well and the toxicology report ended up revealing that he had alcohol and thc in his system which again like of all things i mean so that's confirmed but as we all know if you are an active participating member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, you are not just discouraged, but forbidden to drink alcohol and or do drugs. So having those two in a system, I don't really think hints anything at, at his death necessarily so much as it does. He was up to things that probably weren't uh, on par with what his family thought he was doing. And I think that a lot of people have to keep their dependencies, their addictions, their, um, you know, their usage under such wraps that nobody knows that it's even going on, period, much less if there's a problem can address it. And I just, yeah, I mean, that's like a whole other thing. I, I can't speak to anything factual regarding that, but you just kind of your mind wanders in terms of how uh the, the living with so many things forbidden in a world where they're widely accepted how that impacts you how it impacts if you try it and when you try it and what you know could ultimately lead you to your own demise and with this situation like even the police were like um the uh, THC and alcohol like we thought the toxicology would give them more answers as to why he was in the water, but it didn't give us that many answers. So his official cause of death was drowning. So even though he was believed to have suffered a medical condition, you know, there really has never been any other further clarity. She's kind of moved on. She's pretty active on social media. When he went missing, she had 15,000 followers. Now she's like in the eighties, I think not that that's any indication of what's, you know, as a result of this story but that was one of the conspiracies that people kept tabs on was like how many followers she was getting as a result of the attention and like that's where i think the internet gets out of hand like clearly nobody like nobody's husband is going to go missing to get instagram followers nobody's going to leverage their husband missing to get instagram followers do so i think the video was overproduced and too aesthetically clean and the timing of it was weird and the plea for him to come home despite like assuming he's not going to be on instagram if he's like fleeing or in a state of psychosis i thought all of that was weird absolutely i never thought that this was like a conspiracy by the family i just think that there was a lot that I, my assumption is that there were things going on behind closed doors that would either incriminate other people that that his family didn't want to know that any devout 
members of the church didn't want to be associated with a person that was abusing drugs and alcohol and or cheating and or having extramarital affairs and that there was a lot going on there the monsters that they were trying to hide they were trying to stick it out something a bit off they maybe didn't realize how off who knows how transparent these discussions are when you're suffering from a condition related to or involving something that is strictly forbidden in your household and in your broader family. And either they really had no idea what was going on or they just were really massively covering for it and didn't feel like it was people's business. The frustration with people, as it is literally in every situation ever, is, you know, bringing thousands of people in to help look for him. There was 24,000 in the Find Paul Swanson Facebook group. There was 17,000 in a separate Facebook group that was more dedicated to like uncovering things about them in their lives and why he might have went went missing, but which like, yikes, you know, a bunch of internet sleuths uh, don't always yield the the most accurate results. But I think that, you know, it, it just kind of from there died down. And unfortunately, they never released anything else. I don't think they ever got any further clarity and she's moved on and has a new boyfriend and her daughter is so sweet and I hope she's healing and moving forward and all of that stuff. But it, it it's it's one of those things where the goal in real time is to get everybody involved. And then when the case is solved but isn't conclusive, I don't know. I think people will just always wonder. I will always wonder. I also, you know, will always I think it's interesting. Obviously, like the nation is in such an uh state of crisis as it relates to opioid addiction, abuse, overdose. And there's been a couple interesting pieces on this. One's from The Guardian, Lisa Ling in the 2016, I think. And Lisa Ling did one in 2014. There hasn't been a more recent one. But I was looking at the most recently updated drug abuse statistics in Utah that was updated as of June 18th. And um, the... Out of all the 50 U.S. states, Utah had the seventh highest drug overdose rate in the U.S. between 2013 and 2015. And what's interesting is, you know, in a community where people try to live a clean lifestyle, the prescription medications fall into a gray area where people believe they're safe and acceptable if a doctor prescribes them. As we all know very well, A, you cannot always trust doctors. B, a lot of times as you, the dependency increases and or the pain increases and or the, um, you know, claim that the pain has increased to get more. The prescriptions only get more potent and in more frequent volume and can ultimately lead to heroin addiction, can ultimately lead to overdose, can ultimately lead to a lot of horrendous outcomes as a result of something as simple as a sports injury or a minor surgery or, you know, having chronic back pain, whatever. When you think about living an entirely clean lifestyle, but then suddenly you get something in your system, I, I just don't know if there's an inverse effect. Like, are you more susceptible to become addicted? Are you less susceptible because you have like a will to not abuse it? But that kind of contradicts the entire issue with addiction in the first place, which is that we're none of us are immune to it right like some people have a higher propensity or maybe addictive personalities or maybe alcoholism or whatever uh, addiction can be hereditary and run in your family but opioids are so powerful that anybody can become a victim of that and it was kind of interesting too like seeing how 
like the church addresses addiction on their website, it says addiction is a persistent dependence on a harmful behavior or substance and can disrupt the ability to listen to the spirit and limit agency. Many who struggle with an addiction suffer from shame or a sense that they are unlovable or like death. Oh my God. Um, they may feel discouragement and despair that recovery is not possible. Yet with God, nothing is impossible. See Luke one thirty-seven. All can be healed and protected through Jesus Christ and his atonement. Addiction can, has the capacity to disconnect the human and will nullify moral agency. An October 1989 general conference speech says, For those of you who have fallen prey to any kind of addiction, there is hope because God loves all of his children and because atonement of the Lord Jesus Christ makes all things possible. Um, I've seen the marvelous blessing of recovery that can set one free from the chains of addiction. The Lord is our shepherd. We shall not want as we trust in the power of atonement. I can, you know, et cetera, et cetera. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That scripture is triggering for me because I, in my summer camp, they, when you got to the top of the rock wall, they'd like dangle you there until you recited a scripture like verbatim. And obviously John three sixteen is my go-to. And not only is it on the bottom of every Forever 21 bag, but also, you know, it's it's pretty easy to remember. But uh, I think that started to become a little bit cliche. It's kind of like how I won't let you in the Facebook group if you just your answer of what your favorite anecdote from the podcast is Mormon mommy bloggers. It doesn't tell me you're like a listener that just tells me you listen to this episode and want like more info. So I want people that are like actually invested and not just reeling off the easiest thing to remember. Similarly, when I was dangling from the rock wall, as you know, one ethically does dangle a minor, uh, you know, while suspended high in the air after just completing something physically, athletically exhausting, uh, I did adopt uh, I Can Do All Things Through Christ, that's who gives me strength or whatever, at Philippians 4.13, as my go-to. Uh, another fairly commonly known one, but, you know, less so according to my camp than John 3.16. So, anyway, total aside, and... Uh, <laughs> Um, anyways, I read that. I just thought it was interesting because, um, it's, it's presented as this dependence that disrupts your ability to listen to the spirit that, that, you know, makes you filled with despair and discouragement that recovery is impossible, but all can be healed and protected through Jesus and all can be figured out through atonement. And there is hope because all things are possible through Christ who gives you strength. And it's like, okay, fine you're entitled to believe that but it's a it's a chronic disease of 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 brain reward and motivation and memory it changes your brain structure and function it just like you know the cardiovascular disease affects the heart addiction completely overtakes the brain and you know it, the self-care and spiritual element and prayer and atonement is great and all but it's just it's not a function of willpower it's it's far beyond just stopping cold turkey there's so much more involved and you know yes there is a combination of uh, you know what's hereditary what's behavioral but fixing it isn't always strictly behavioral willpower often has very little to do with it it needs to be treated with a combination of treatments professional treatments whether medical attention psychotherapy you know also there's a lot that goes into the long road that is treatment and recovery from addiction and like the language used in terms of how to get past it felt like it was really glossing over it that was like that that was the official like i looked it up on the website like via the search and that was the official commentary on it on churchofjesuschrist.org 
you know, I'm I, I would imagine it's probably on par with what other you know religions do. Maybe they don't get too in depth into the science of it. But the problem becomes if you are a devout person coming to the church for help, who is hopefully able to come to the church as a flaw, a flawed human, a, a person who is sinning, and you have an issue that requires medical attention, and prayer is seen as the primary remedy from people you trust and go to for counsel. Clearly, that's a problem. And don't take like health ad- information or advice from me. I'm just, I got to stop thinking out loud probably is what it is. But I just think the first step to helping people um, get past uh, oftentimes a lot of different issues, especially when this is the case, is when things are not necessarily their fault, it's important to, you know, validate that this is something so far and above beyond their control that needs serious attention and treatment to ignore it is is the worst thing you can do to act like it's not as big of a deal as it is is could ultimately lead to their detriment and i just i don't know i just thought that was an interesting description um but and i'll wrap this up and get to the next story soon but yeah i mean for the prescription drug deaths in utah have increased by 400 percent since the year 2000 um, by between 2013 and 2015, Utah ranked fifth highest in the nation for prescription drug overdose deaths and 80% of heroin users in Utah started with a misuse of, of a prescription drug. What's like more alarming kind of to my point earlier, again, not a direct linkage, but the high population concentration of those within the church is what this website is allus- alluding to. Um, it's an infographic sheet from uh, recovery center that has uh, these statistics that the state of Utah updates on a regular basis. And um, yeah, anyway, sorry, rabbit hole, got to stop. Um, yeah, in conclusion with the Swenson case, I just think that to me, it seemed like, you know, when the search was called off August 3rd after, you know, not that long after he disappeared on the 27th. And based on what I've heard of his family's interaction in the Facebook group, kind of seemed like he left on his own accord. They were pleading with him to come home. And that video was made because, you know, they must have not been that surprised he left. Um, otherwise, like, why? Ple- you know what I mean? Like, if he was just straight up missing out of nowhere, it'd be one thing. But to be like, please come home. Something about that s- felt like expected to me in a weird way. And, um, you know, there's a lot of questions like, why not go with him to that appointment? If he seemed that off, you know, like dangerously off, why was he by himself? There were so many sightings of him. People said he was at Nordstrom. I mean, like, would he honestly be at Nordstrom? That seems insane. But um, he was seen different places. There were a lot of rumors of him saying different things that sounded delusional, but none of them proven. And, you know, the thing with the um, being found in a river and, you know, drowning is like, was it intentional? Are you in the middle of some sort of like psychotic break or delusion where you think you need to be? in the river and then you drown uh there's a, there was a case in my hometown of a guy who was having like a like a psychotic break as a result of i believe it was bipolar disorder i don't want to misspeak and he thought he was flying and he like slammed on the gas and hit somebody and i, I was we were reading about that last week and um i was just like what like it's so hard to put yourself in that situation if it's not something you deal with but I mean, who who the heck knows what happened? Uh, I I think that honestly, if that if it weren't for the video and it weren't for the GoFundMe, I know she didn't start it, but the some guy named Cody did on her behalf. 
why why solicit money if he's not dead yet you know what i mean like you don't know that your family's going to be without him forever i know that they needed help with the search efforts but isn't that largely you know involving law enforcement too i mean it just didn't it just didn't sit right with people that they needed twenty three thousand dollars very specific amount yeah, I guess we'll we'll never really know what happened, but it sounds like the family kind of knew exactly what was going on. And this is the worst possible outcome. And it's so sad. And I have no doubt for a second that everybody, every second of every day isn't thinking through this a million times over. Um, I, you know, hopefully, if anything, it can serve as something educational for at least their immediate network, even if they keep things under wraps is in terms of the transparency that's essential when people are struggling with mental health, with addiction, you know, any sort of substance abuse, you got to be their ally. And sometimes you have to be their advocate. At times you have to let them hit rock bottom. But it's better to know what's going on than to suggest that it can be solved with by supernatural means. You know, I, I think that the supernatural solution and also the shame that comes along with it are two big problems for in any case with anybody that's suffering. And I just, I don't know. It, it, it's so sad. It really is sad. It's just a new father. He's only 26 years old. I'm, I'm just, it's awful. And even more so if she doesn't have any answers is it, sometimes I'm like, at least foul play. It's like, well, nobody wants that. Nobody wants the death period but like just to have no idea like where he was or why he was roaming around and like how he ended up in the river would just i would never ever sleep it just is it's too it, it's just so inconclusive and sad and i don't know bless bless her heart god rest his soul horrible situation all around and I guess, well, the next one I'm going to talk about is a slightly more straightforward in terms of the first thing that happened, but it's kind of like this ever-evolving saga that a lot of the internet's really dragged into, for better or for worse. Not that I condone a lot of the chatter on the forums, but I'm I'm a fan of Reddit. I don't think Reddit's nearly as toxic as some of the other uh, forums online where things just seem like nothing is off limits. I at least I respect places that are at least moderated for the type of speech, you know, no hate speech, no going after children. You know, I think there's just some hard and fast boundaries that need to be drawn. I also think it's in nobody's best interest to ever look themselves up, uh, myself included, even though after I drink wine, I think I want to go on Reddit and be like, AMA, I did the podcast this post is about. And then I get too scared and wake up the next morning. I'm like, oh, my God, what was I thinking? Because I just, you know, it's, I mean, I'm, I'm fine. It's whatever. Like I talk about all the time, people can't be resistant to feedback. I'm cool with feedback when it's like sent directly to me, I feel like is when I need to pay the most attention to it because, you know, a passing comment should be, you know, carried with and applied with different weight than a thought out written thing somebody sends to you that they, you need to honor the time they took to write that. And I'll have like a snarky comment in passing about anything that literally I put no thought into. You know what I mean? There's just kind of a difference in the type of feedback you need to take. Anyway, what am I talking about? Oh, yeah. Freckled Fox. Um, okay. Another, again, is, is it the people involved in this story are real and it's very sad. And I never want to suggest that any, you know, widow is to to blame or... I don't know. It's just you never want to say anything defamatory that isn't, you know, proven or factual. And there's so much chatter about this specific blog on 
the internet and it's so hard to sift through what is and isn't legitimate and what isn't kind of like canon of theorizing over the years versus things that actually happened when you're trying to play catch up. And, you know, uh, it's I think that anything that is posted by them, anything that's public record, you know, blogs, Instagram, Instagram lives, whatever, you know, you're interpreting and editorializing off of that is fine. What I don't feel comfortable with is when people are like stating what they think are straight facts based off of assumption or like that someone says they are allegedly a source, but they're hiding behind an, an anonymous handle. Like, I feel like that stuff's not fair. So this is a case where I'll kind of walk through like the high level of what happened and, you know, take what you want from it. But it's definitely such an interesting story. And I feel like, you know, it's partially covering what happened, but then also partially covering like the, the what an Internet phenomenon this kind of became. Um, I think kind of thinking of like reply all they're nowhere on par with their brevity, uh, sharpness or journalistic skills. But I think that when you find kind of these Internet rabbit holes, it's so fascinating in terms of people's engagement level, the detail level and the the sustainability of talking about it as it evolves over time. And oftentimes these people are right. And oftentimes the investigative work is is fascinating. And anyway, I just, you know, while while Paul Swenson's kind of came and went, this is an example of one that's ongoing and why people are interested well, and also, they, I actually think she was subject to some serious, legitimate, problematic, unforgivable bullying at a time that I'll explain. Um, so it's it's kind of interesting. I feel two different ways about this, depending on the time period. But the high level, um, her name is Emily. Her blog is The Freckled Fox. It started in 2011 and was kind of a fashion, lifestyle, makeup, decor, cooking, all, all, you know, kind of the classic 2011 lifestyle blog. She was based in Idaho at the time. And uh, this, here's the kicker. She was 24 years old. When I started following her, she was at 24 years old. She had five children, five children, like beyond my wildest comprehension. And beyond that, not only was she young, not only did she have so many kids, she was tiny in shape, has this long red hair that looks like Ariel, these big eyes. Like she, she's beautiful. She looks like a Disney princess. She was always posting elaborate braids and her, you know, cute house and the cute photos of the kids. And like people were just so confused, like how this even was a possible situation. And that was just kind of, you know, the start of everyone's fascination. But what happened is in April 2015, so four years after she started her blog, everyone's kind of obsessed with following her and her husband Martin's like perfect seeming life. Um, she wrote a post on Instagram announcing that Martin had been diagnosed with stage four melanoma. And, you know, the other piece to this, too, like I got I got on board when she was already had the five kids. But when she found out the, about the stage four cancer, she was eight months pregnant with the fifth. And um, then a few weeks later, she wrote another post that talked about how they had kind of decided to seek unconventional treatment for him in Mexico, which, I mean, the way she described it was, we'd gone directly to a very renowned cancer institute to hear his options as far as conventional treatment, but it left feeling very overwhelmed and a bit confused, knowing only we weren't ready that we weren't ready to make a decision and quite yet. Long story shorter, we decided to move forward first with some really 
neat alternative treatments that are available in lots of facilities, mostly outside of the United States. Uh, mostly with the baby due in a few weeks, we don't want to be farther away from home. They could get Martin right away as opposed to waiting, and his treatment only will last three weeks. So then a friend of the family posts on Emily's blog asking them to donate to the Myers family, that they're going to be struggling with medical bills. They put up their PayPal. Um, the person said they were confident that they could raise over $100,000 for them to be able to afford the treatments. So they go to Mexico. He has the tumor under his armpit removed. They uh, Truly, she's documenting this entire thing. And um, following the treatment, they go to Idaho. Emily has her fifth child. They go back to Idaho, resume normal life. She mentions that she they're moving. They get a new house. She starts to get trolled. And um, people were starting to comment, like, wondering if this was a, a hoax of some sort. Like they said, he didn't have a scar from getting his tumor removed and he was posting weightlifting photos and how somebody with stage four cancer do that. Um, they, a lot of people were very accusatory as it relates to seeking alternative treatment instead of chemo. And I met even me reading this back. I was like, oh, gosh, like, why? Anyway, there's um, a website that's called Warrior Eli Hoax that helped summarize this for me quite well. I cannot take credit for all this research. That they, I guess, police like cancer scams on the Internet, which is crazy that there even needs to be a website to do that. I was shocked when Brooks and Vicky pulled it off and I'm still shocked. But I guess he talked to Emily and he verified like to the world, you know, this is this is not a hoax. This is real. Um, they shared with him all of this medical paperwork and um of his diagnosis and like absolutely everything so basically it was proven to be true and she decided not to post tons of details on her blog because she wanted to keep it kind of uplifting and about what it's about and i think that the lack of detail about his you know diagnosis and treatment and the despair she was in and the pictures and stuff like was just an effort to not make it a blog like about his his cancer and his treatment and something that was so dark and apparently they went to Mexico because after getting a consultation in Utah, they were advised to enroll Martin in a clinical trial. And one of these involved infecting him with herpes and then trying to direct the virus to attack his melanoma. Neither of them were comfortable with the treatment plans that were suggested. It's quite interesting. Uh, so they, I guess, had a friend that uh, underwent chemo for melanoma and died anyway, and they just... We're keeping their options open for conventional treatment, but this was their choice. Um, the GoFundMe page they justified by uh, Emily not knowing much about it. And then the friend asked Emily if she could post it on the blog and that they chose PayPal because GoFundMe takes a larger percentage of donations. And then they also said they bought a house because um, there were safety concerns for Emily and the children. And it was kind of a bucket list item. And they found a house in their budget that was close to his family. So... Once, I mean, thank God this guy, you know, confirmed that this was all valid, could stop the Internet chatter because it was really, really quite bad. I mean, I wasn't really privy to this at the time, but reading back about it, it's pretty alarming and disgusting in terms of the public shaming and kind of hostility that was a result of her bringing people on his cancer journey. And I think a large part of it, like I talked about, was her, you know, the perception of her being too cheery 
and that she didn't want to disclose how devastating the diagnosis was. And um, it got to the point where, like, okay, again, remember, she gave birth to their fifth child shortly after he was diagnosed. And getting inundated with these hateful messages about how you're lying, that your husband's dying. I mean, it's it's one of those things where it's like you we all have to remember, I love a conspiracy as much as the next guy. But there is a a lot of very good reason why people would want to keep their privacy and like maintain, uh, you know, keep things in their inner circle when they're enduring something horrific and during a tragedy, uh, whatever. And it's far more likely that they're just trying to keep it under control, that they're trying to kind of, you know, protect themselves instead of, you know, being part of some sort of insane long-term fraud case or long con. I mean, you know, I think in some cases that's happened, like Vicky and Brooks and, um, you know, it's so easy to go there on the internet, but when I think that Emily's case, and I bring up this up because I feel like there's so much focus on her new husband and her life now, but I think it's important to remember this because, you know, considering people were so convinced on the internet in forums that like their medical expertise was legit and they were pointing out inconsistencies in the story and you know, just calling them liars. And I, the, it's it's so crazy that people like pretty much came to the conclusion that it was completely fake and they were completely wrong. And as most and as in most cases, people just aren't sharing the full story. And this this is the whole issue I talk about often with social media is your profession is sharing your personal life. But when is personal life too personal? And then when do people start to reject you and retaliate because you're leaving them out of something that they feel entitled to, which is kind of like a gross thing to think of, period. But sometimes I when it doesn't deal with like life or death, you know, like with or, you know, with children, like stuff, there's stuff that I feel like is so clearly ethically off limits. Um, But I feel like for some reason, there's still a gray area for some people. And it's one of those things where like, you know, when Megan King Edmonds said Brooks was faking cancer, I was like, oh, that's a hot take. But she was right. So it's, you know, it's just kind of this weird thing. Um, But thank God people started to back off. Thank God all of the vile commentary stopped once the the cancer website, the Cancer Hope website, said he spoke to her and and she was telling the truth. And that's part, that's something like what I would never, I will, I wholeheartedly support her right to share whatever she wanted in terms of that time period, I can't even imagine what would be going on with that many children being pregnant or having a newborn. I mean, it's just like, there's so much there, but soon enough, this is kind of where I think she loses people and kind of, I don't know, this is where it gets to be a problem again, because so, so sadly, unfortunately he doesn't respond to treatment. He was diagnosed in April, 2015 and died June, 2016. And, um, you know, in his final days, there were a lot of the, the, a lot of the stuff she chose to share was tough. It, it tough to look at, tough to imagine why that it's necessary. You don't want to, you know, you don't want to judge it all. Everybody has their right to like grieve in the way they want to. But in the final days, you know, final weeks, really, 
some like it was tough to see him completely deteriorate before your eyes. He got incredibly thin. There were sad photos of them laying in bed at home. There were photos of him in his wheelchair, like staring at the wall. It was just like there were all these photos of him in a in absolute dire condition that I don't know. It's like I think that you know, everybody grieves in their own way. Everybody's entitled to their own experience. I can't help but think about somebody's immediate family, the woman that gave birth to the person who died. Like, I think that it's almost, you know, important to, even though it's such an interior process, to maintain the respect of people that loved the person in different capacities. And even though she was maybe the one on the front lines dealing with the cancer day to day, I don't know. It, it, I've always had a hard time um, fi- figuring out why that, I don't know, why it, the, the documentation of his declined state is still there very famously on um, at least some of the internet rabbit holes. She posted a photo that I don't think I actually ever saw of him in 2018 to like mark the anniversary that she ended up deleting. Allegedly, his um, mother left a comment that was deleted um emily dear i implore you as a loving mother please take this post down i see my phone call to you didn't change your mind i can't express to you how it hurts my heart to see this picture out there for the whole world to see i have stood by you and not said anything about all the pictures you've posted of his dying but i ask you is this necessary martin doesn't look like this anymore he is better than ever let's remember our strong and handsome martin the way he was now and is again i love you um which is incredibly sad uh i'm like (laughs) Honestly, I've stopped and uh, this is taking me like 10 hours to record. I've stopped and started this a million times. It just feels weird. But like. Anyway, the the I have no qualms about any of the decisions, you know, regarding the time, you know, that Martin that Martin was in treatment and what she shared and whatever. Like, that's your journey. That's your decision you know, to use your platform for that is definitely a bold decision that shouldn't be taken lightly. I hope that with all the controversies, some people have learned a thing or two. She's helped people with a thing or two. I've listened to her on podcasts and stuff, and she's mentioned, you know, she she wanted to be the resource for widows that she didn't have when she was going through this. So my computer sounds like it's about to take off. Oh my gosh. Um, So he passes away. She posts, you know, she had a photographer at the funeral. I gathered some different, you know, it depends on the the people. Uh, some people do this. I cannot imagine being hired for that job. That sounds excruciating. Um, but she posted pictures of her and her kids by the casket. And I mean, it's just incredibly emotional. It's incredibly hard to look at. Doesn't mean she's not entitled to share it, I guess. I don't know. I don't know where the line is drawn. I'm not the authority. Okay, I guess I'll just say I I would not do that. Um, but my that's not my inclination to broadcast that. I do feel like that's deeply personal to family. That's just not something I don't know. I I would be upset if that were one of my siblings and their spouse did it. You know what I mean? So I can imagine the mother of the person who passed. Like you just I, I don't know. You got to take into account a lot of different people that are involved in like. I was just reading the post, like, of her holding his hand as he took his last breath and slipped into a... Tr- I mean, it's, like, so sad. It's it's awful. It's, like, 
you know, speculate about her life as it is now. Then I go back and revisit this. And I'm like, this is a nightmare. Like she was a, a 25, 26 year old mother of five with a newborn. I mean, like, it's just, it's unimaginable uh, to accuse her of it being fake. And anyway, it's, I don't know. I, anyway, sorry. I just want to acknowledge that, like, that part is is incredibly sad and it's, like, difficult to revisit. And I think part of it, too, is I'm like, I can't believe I'm seeing photos of this funeral, like, on my Instagram. It's like, oof. Okay. Um, sorry. Again. So he passes away June uh, 16th. She kind of posts, like, once a week, you know, marking one week, two weeks, three weeks, four weeks um, since his passing. And she has a sparse, um, you know, presence, understandable. She's spending time with her family and a little bit of time passes. And then there is a post on September 26th, September 27th, 2016. He passed away. Uh, her first husband, Martin, passed away June 16th, 2016. So this is about, you know, three months, two weeks later. And it says, so we have some pretty big news. The kids and I want to introduce you guys to Richard in this exciting new chapter that is starting in our life. Please cl click through the post link in my profile to read many more details. And thank you in advance for all your amazing support and continued prayers. So you click through to her profile. And there's a post from Tuesday, September 27th called A New Chapter, Here's to the Future. She says, I'm ready to move forward with more faith, to let go of fear, and I'm ready to share some news that I've been keeping to myself for the last little while. I'm ready to introduce you to Richard. The Cliff's Notes version, we met over 10 years ago while we were both in high school. We started writing letters to each other and kept it up for several years. We later find out that he was 19 and she was 15. Um, we became incredibly close and helped one another through some tough years. When I became engaged to Martin... Richard and I parted ways as friends. We didn't reconnect until very recently, and things started moving fast between us. We had grown so close all those years ago, and were very much able to pick up where we left off. Um, et cetera, et cetera. After much prayer and peaceful confirmation, we made the choice to be married. We did so in a small private ceremony on top of a mountain, and it was simple and perfect. She also mentions farther down... Um, Martin and I talked, her first husband, Martin, and I talked many times about my future after he was gone, about our five little ones, and I can't help but feel like he's played a large part in how things have worked out. I know he's as grateful as I am for this wonderful man who has come to love and take care of his family. Um, I know to my core that everything happens for a reason, that Richard was sent to mend our hearts and heal our home when we needed him most. So basically, she gets remarried within 84 days, uh, is what is eventually figured out. Some people think sooner. There, there's a whole host of uh, deleted comments from like alleged family members and things all over the place. I don't know what's legit. A lot of people have sent me some. It, it's safe to say that this situation um, very much, I think, divided, estranged her from her in-laws. Um, I think that in bringing in a new person, it impacts how much they see the children Thinking about having five of your grandbabies, of your deceased son, and having limited access to them. I know since then they've, like, moved, and there's been some controversy about uh, the financials, um, her being set up with, you know, his inheritance, and there being some confusion slash concern about them being allowed to see the kids, you know, per 
allegedly her new husband intervening. The Internet does not seem to be very fond of him. I have not. I, I, I that is like stuff I feel like it's just there's so much and <laughs> there's a whole rabbit hole you can go down, I'm sure. Keep in mind, no one ever knows what's really going on behind closed doors. Keep in mind, she was once tortured for trying to be transparent and share her story and accused to be, of being a liar and ultimately was not a liar. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, eventually I think she came out on like, was it an Instagram live or something? Um, saying that like after Martin died, Richard, her new husband wrote her a letter and like showed up on her doorstep, which is a little strange. Um, she married, Emily married Martin at 18, which is so wild. And since she said they stopped writing letters when she married him, I don't know. I mean, it's weird. I just like, I don't know. It's so hard for me to understand because I personally can't relate to any sort of situation. Um, I can't relate to marrying somebody that fast. I can't relate to recommitting to someone that I barely have spent time with when I have five little children to take care of. But I also can't relate to the despair of being a widow and needing help taking care of people. And I also can't relate... Like, it's hard. I mean, it's unbelievable that she found, like, that somebody wanted to take on five kids. I mean, like, that's pretty crazy. So I remember at the time just being like, what is happening? Then sure enough, it's announced that she's pregnant. The baby's due in 2018. They have a child, a sixth child. She gets pregnant, like, almost immediately. Kind of crazy. And um, the thing that I, it's so crazy. I mean, yes, getting married after 84 days is one thing. Yes, her estranged relationship with her in-laws is one thing. I mean, it just honestly, to me, it seems like she chose to be very public about um, his decline, about his death. She's posted a lot of controversial photos. Uh, while her intentions might have been pure, I do think that, you know, public sharing of these things is not for everybody. And um, that was probably the cause of the start of the strain with her in-laws. That and she has sole say over all five of their grandchildren she inherits all of what is uh, martin's and who knows what else that entails and i think that with visitation with um maybe her new husband hoping she'll like, move on maybe it's difficult i don't know maybe like, who knows the dynamics of that strained relationship i don't think any of us really can know but what people have picked up on via like screenshots and stuff or some uncomfortable interactions like there was one Somebody sent me one that um, he, he there was a weird post. Apparently, he's not employed. And apparently, also, they had a dog die of heat stroke, which in their conditioned home seems very implausible. I pray to God they didn't leave the dog in a car. Like, it's so uh, it's so sick and uh, upsetting. And I don't know if they ever explain what happened. But I think that him being involved somehow in this dog dying of heat stroke upset people. And then he had this um, Instagram post about um it said last night all the big kids and i played together then they all helped clean the house do laundry take out the trash and eat dinner it was a wonderfully smooth night and then somebody said like oh you're such a great father and then he responded saying hopefully i'm continuously learning how to do things better but in the meantime the kids are much happier than they would be without a full family unit doesn't mean they're not processing their loss but luckily i have a unique set of skills to help them process those thoughts i he's, i think he's a nurse maybe that's what he meant but what happened is apparently a family member commented back saying, what set of skills do you use to help the kids cope? 
And then he said, feel free to send me a personal message. It's been a long time. Might be good for the kids to refresh their memories of you. Family is always welcome here. Good to hear from you. Sounds sarcastic. Um, and the family member responded, thank you for the open invitation. After Emily recently unfriended most of Marty's extended family, myself included, we weren't sure that we were welcome. We'd love to see the kids again. We'll be in touch next time we're in town. So again, these are things people have sent to me, I've like been interested in this situation. I think, you know, when there's like screenshots, you never know if they're manipulated, but those are like helpful. It's uh, screenshots like that help to highlight what is probably you know, a theme and under of an underlying tension that probably can explain a lot of the weird behavior and difficulty post Martin's death. So the one thing that is, I think is important to highlight, um, that's so upsetting and is that, um, in spring was March 3rd, 2017. <sighs> this is so frustrating. It's, um, Okay, so she says in passing kind of on Instagram, like my knee was injured yesterday and I'm about to go into surgery, but a local television station had run a story about an accidental shooting and there are some like really distant photos and like photos of parts of the house and it looks looked a lot like Emily and her new husband, Richard. Keep in mind, this is, oh, I think I got the timeline of the baby messed up. I'm like losing my mind at this point. Um. Yeah, I was I was wrong about the, the I was wrong about the baby. She she had not had the six baby yet. The only child that's her and Richards. She got pregnant uh, later in the year was it what didn't have the baby in 2018. This is March 3rd of 2017. So this is about six months after they got married. And this news story that had an anonymous couple, it just said a couple spent Friday evening in the hospital after the husband accidentally shot himself and his wife while he cleaned his gun. The bullet hit him in the arm and his wife in the leg. So Emily mentions she needs to have surgery. She mentions there's a sad accident. She'll update soon. Of course, people are going wild. And she takes to social media to explain herself. Now, her initial story of was her. OK, I'll, so she says that Richard and his friend were cleaning and reassembling their smaller guns alone in the house after a day at the range. They were gathering them to put them away as I got home with the kids and started feeding them pizza. I went into the dining room to tell them the food was ready and the gun Richard was holding accidentally discharged and hit him badly in the arm and another fragment of the same bullet hit me in the knee. I'm not trying to downplay the seriousness of the situation, but it it did happen in a split second. It was very sad and scary accident and that's about all there is to it. It happened, yes. Now we learn the lesson and move on. But then the police report says otherwise. And full disclosure, I was looking for the screenshot of the police report. It led me to Gomi, which I have a lot of issues with. But, you know, in the event that something, um, information is needed because of an issue that conflicts entirely with my own moral code, I will seek to Gomi in pursuit of justice. Because my moral code thinks it is abhorrent, unconscionable. Uh, truly, there, there, there's not a, a, an ounce of my body that is not filled with rage at the idea of a grown-ass man with a gun license cleaning his gun inside the motherfucking house with six, no, five children present. 
It's always tough when you're on a roll and then you say incorrect information and have to correct yourself, therefore kind of kicking you off the, the high horse. But, okay. Um, okay. Rep- okay. On 3-13-2017, this is the police report, at approximately 17-17 hours, I was dispatched to Twin Falls for a report of an accidental shooting. I was advised two persons had been shot by the same single gunshot. When I arrived on scene, I made contact with the occupants of the home. Twin Falls Fire was already on the scene and treating adult male and female. This was occurring in the dining room of the home. I observed several firearms and firearm cleaning supplies on the kitchen table. I cleared a rifle that was on the table and asked where the handgun was that had been fired. I was advised by Johnson Chief DOB that there were two handguns on top of a shelf and the Glock was the gun that had discharged. The male and female that had been shot were verbally identified as Emily Myers and... um, Richard Carmack observed Richard was bleeding from his left elbow. Emily had been shot in the right knee. Chief told me that earlier in the day, they all went out shooting. And when they returned home, they cleaned the firearms they had been shooting. Chief advised that Richard removed the Glock from inside his waistband. The firearm. Wait, Chief advised that as Richard removed the Glock from his, inside his waistband, the firearm discharged hitting Richard and Emily. Pictures were taken of the scene. The handgun is a Glock 19 9mm with a serial number. Chief was present at the time of the shooting, asked if there was a domestic and chief stated something along the lines of no richard didn't respect the gun oh god um so just like re readdressing her post in that i posted um richard and richard and his friends were cleaning and reassembling their smaller guns alone in the house I mean, now we know there are rifles on the table. They were gathering them to put them away as I got home with the kids and started feeding them pizza. I went to the dining room to tell them the food was ready. The gun Richard was holding accidentally discharged and hit him badly in the arm. And another, another fragment of the same bullet hit me in the knee. And like, this is filled with these comments of people like supporting them. Everyone's like, oh, that sounds scary. It's not just scary, it's dangerous and it's harmful and it's putting children in a literal crossfire of a life or death situation just because you want to go freaking hunting? Get a shed, go out back. I don't know, shoot your nuts off. Like, I cannot handle the kids. The, the, the fact that she too, like, like, she didn't even try to cover this part, but they were ga- they were gathering to put their guns away as she got home with the kids and started feeding them pizza so the kids were in the other room and she went into the dining room and they were and she said that they were cleaning the guns but the police report said they were on the kitchen table is that a semantics issue i don't know he might have thought he was in the kitchen i don't really care about that i care that it was under the same roof as the children and i care that like there's just seems to be no acknowledgement or like accountability for the grave danger her new husband put her children in and to like she said she wasn't trying to downplay the seriousness of it but also it's it's just mishandling of a gun it's a negligence of safety precautions it's a complete it's a completely disgustingly irresponsible move and everybody in the comments section is just like um oh my heavens what an awful thing you're such a strong mama god bless say some prayers oh my goodness these things happen i feel so bad please get some rest it's an unfortunate accident 
Well, I'm very sorry about your in- injury. Praying for your recovery. Take care of yourself. People can be so cruel. They're just jealous. I am not jealous that your husband shot you. That he doesn't know that you treat every gun is loaded. Where you're pointing it, uh, that you don't unload it before you clean it and check once, twice, three times over. Uh, truly, I don't know anything about guns, but I know you check the chamber to see if it's unloaded. I know you don't have a loaded gun in the house unless you're a member of some sort of law enforcement that requires you to be armed. I know that half the time these cleaning excuses and stories are complete and utter bullshit. And this is actually extremely dangerous. It's not funny at all. And I don't even know, like, how you come back from this. Like, he literally shot his grieving wife with five young children in the other room over, like, a gun negligence of being irresponsible with a freaking firearm in the home. Like, like, on what planet? On what planet? I just, I can't. I can't. It's, it's horrifying. And I, I am so... I don't know if she just deleted all the the normal comments and just kept these delusional worshippers, but like, uh, yeah, accidents happen for sure. She defined the word accident in her post. I just like, I hate guns to begin with, and for any justification of a person accidentally shooting their wife and themselves is not handling the weapon properly is not ensuring it's unloaded it because a properly handled firearm doesn't randomly shoot people it's gross negligence it's 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 completely careless it's a person who clearly hasn't adjusted their life or their mode of rationale to adjust for having five young children and it, th- this is what turned the tables for me. I was kind of like, wow, I can't, like, um, that's incredible that he's, they've known each other from before. He's stepping up to the plate. He wants to take on our children, whatever. But then it's like, okay, yeah, he's unemployed. He says he's a nurse, but he's not really working. Okay, he's taking her photos, whatever. Oh, she said, like, in a new interview, he proposed to her three times. Like, is that begging her? Like, you know, then you start to go crazy and you're like, who is this guy that is his custody over her children? And that she married so quickly when she probably wasn't even in a lucid state of mind to be remarrying, you know? And but the whole thing is just, it's its a real, it's a real head scratcher for me. There's been a lot that's transpired since then with, I believe, her in-laws. And I'll leave you to the internet for that because it's all such like, uh, I heard that someone said that someone posted, but it was deleted. But here's a screenshot. And I just, you know, I'm not... I'm not going to get in anybody's like custody or guardianship stuff because that's a legal matter. But I will say that she has all of my heart, support, empathy in the world for what she's endured. I will give her all of the grace in the world. I don't think anybody can or should judge what she went through in her journey with Martin's cancer, in her with the way she grieved. I don't agree with all of it, but that's fine. Everybody handles things differently. I think it's important to acknowledge, good for you, not for me. And when emotions are so specific and riding high and nuanced to a certain scenario that I myself have not been in, what I have respected his mother, absolutely, 100%, a million times over. I can, I am, I'm not a mother, but I cannot imagine somebody who's known my son for such a small chunk of time relative to his entire life that I birthed to him 
even though they have like their own covenant of marriage and blah, 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 and their partners, I still like, maybe I'm going to be a crazy mother-in-law. I still do feel like you deserve respect as the person who gave them life, especially when his is about to end. And I'm, that's, I'm like upset talking about it. Um, so I want to separate that entirely. I even, I, you know, I don't, I talked about earlier how the, the quick marriages. I talked earlier about, you know, even though it's, it's fair for us to be like, that's way too fast, but it's also fair to understand that in a certain microcosm that might be more standard. They didn't get remarried in a temple. I don't know what that means in the broader sense. I don't know how it works when you're a, a widower, but you know, that aside, She'll always be grieving, always be dealing with that. She will see her husband and her children every day. And to that, I like, you know, I th- there. it's hard for me to even like get ragey because it's just something I so, so empathize with. Um, but when it comes to matters of safety, responsibility, when it comes to carelessness, when it comes to uh, putting your family in danger, when it comes to explaining away somebody else's bad behavior, when it comes to uh, kind of laughing off and forgiving somebody for something that literally put young children in grave danger for explaining an accident. It's like, well, it happens more often than you think, but that doesn't mean in isolation there's any world in which it should be explained away or justified. Uh, I, I, I just am concerned for the way that was handled specifically. Then she got pregnant. She had her first kid with him in um, 2018. And like, you know, it just continues to be an interesting saga. Like, there's a lot with her like moving very abruptly, like in the middle of the night. People think it might have to do with like guardianship. Because again, I just do not understand a world in which a a father, whether by blood or by proxy, is it could even like think that that was appropriate. I just again, I'm I'm, I'm gonna beat a dead horse, but like I don't care. I don't care in this instant instance. I just think it's it's truly um something that I have no problem snarking talking shit about finding all all info in the depths of the internet because after i saw the police report i was like oh this isn't up for interpretation this is what happened i fundamentally disagree with this this is it's it's absolutely unconscionable and people need to know a that this happened in the event it's a watch out for some of you to handle things more carefully though i pray to god you already do because truly in my mind only a legit monster psychopath would make such a mistake Okay, again, it's fine. It, I I wouldn't care if it was in a shed. <laughs> if it was outside, shed himself. Maybe not as like recently widowed wife, and like maybe if his kids were in the other room. Like truly, truly cannot understand on any planet how that that is isn't grounds for like it's truly somebody pursuing. Like how isn't that how is that not criminal? You know, like having a firearm and using it irresponsibly in the presence of a minor. <sighs> whatever okay um so i'm gonna stop there i am like dying <laughs> this is are you guys bored i hope you're not bored a lot of you said like i'd listen if it were four hours and i'm like okie doke well here we go because <laughs> i wanted to address a lot of different stuff um but i am officially uh done with <laughs> this topic back to senseless rambling and gas in slightly shorter formats i think this is what happened too when i did the how i built this I am it is a lot harder for me to talk in a structural format to plan what I need to talk about and to edit it in a coherent manner than it is just to kind of have my shtick be stream of consciousness. It's not a function of being lazy. It's a function of like I'm not a producer or editor and 
it's easier for me to have this kind of be like what comes out of my head than, um, I don't know, anticipate what people do and don't want. Because then when it's like topical, more people come in, they're not used to my style. They're so, so critical. It gets in my head. I get discouraged. I lose energy. It's a whole thing. Not saying that, you know, that's a professional or right way to be. But with an amateur podcast, I do think there's an adjustment period where people, you know, are expecting NPR production value for a free program that has like no muscle, no labor, no high end technology behind it and holding it against you. And that sucks. And uh, yeah, I know I don't like when people complain, but this has been an interesting journey bringing in new people out of context. And it's been it's been it's been tricky for me to navigate and it's something I have to figure out. So anyway, I just hope this was is met with uh, an understanding that I mean no disrespect, that I mean to summarize what's already out there and that I think you should leave all of these people alone. They've put all their stories out there, but I don't think that there's any reason why a stranger needs to directly tell somebody else what to do. I just think that in the form of entertainment and considering that our engagement is a big part of why they're so successful, it's interesting to have a platform in which to discuss these matters. So I'm going to I'm going to stop there. Uh, by this time, you've probably transversed an entire state in the continental U.S. This is like over six hours of like got so crazy. And I don't even know if it's that good. I'm sitting here finishing this up being like, oh, my God, I'm dying. Not that it's hard work. I'm just dying because I'm sick of my own voice. And I'm almost out of wink. Reminder, please go to trywink.com. Get four bottles of wine. Twenty two dollars off your first month. It's basically like getting three for the price of one. And. Use code be there in five with the number five, not the word. Unlike everything else I have, it's F-I-V-E, but wink trywink.com, the code is be there in five, the number. That is the ultimate way you can support me. It's so helpful for me to like have people using my codes to see these conversion numbers and to move forward and be like, see, people buy stuff that I like. But, you know, obviously done in my style. Who knows its efficacy? But hey, we're going to try anyway, because if I know one thing, I know you guys love to have a glass of wine with me over these airwaves and i love you for it i'm gonna close out with you know you know i love pop gospel i've been playing different pop gospel with the exception of um you know the beginning here when i considered playing uh zz tops um jesus just left chicago but thought you know maybe that was a little too literal and i do like to think that capital he still loves me the way i am but for the outro i want to play a, uh, a song that I, I, I quite love that reminds me of this pop gospel genre, despite not really being about church. That reminds me of um, my, my faithful listeners. You know, you probably think I'm gushing and I'm being corny when I'm always saying that I'm appreciative. But I don't think you understand that even like, you know, less than two years ago, I was in like a full emotional meltdown, a tough place, you know, with my mental health. I was moving on from a business i had streamlined to virtually run without me i'd made myself obsolete i had quit my job to do that because i took a chance on an accidental business that was incredibly random and even though it's tied to my entrepreneurial and creative skill set the category wasn't really what i wanted to be in only to apply for jobs try to get back into the corporate world and you know nobody responded nobody cared nobody saw value in why i left and I just didn't know what to do besides take to the internet and fill my days, the lonely days of self-employment where I was trying to find another job 
talking about the stuff I loved, which was pop culture. And I didn't, it's really incredible to find all you guys through that. And even though we're still small and we're still scrappy, knowing you're out there makes it, it's just like so cool to find like-minded people. And I just really mean it when I say, thank you for bringing me back to life through this podcast, through buying the book, through caring what I have to say. It means a lot to me. And I think especially as a person who's very aware that they weren't given a mic and a stage, if you will, by any sort of professional means, rather giving myself one through the support of and the confidence of my followers that, you know, really encouraged me that I had more to say and that they wanted to listen. And it just, I don't know, it's it's really cool. And I think that's why I'll always be, you know, sure to defend the internet, to defend digital talent and to defend the validity of the role anybody chooses for themselves in the absence of formal permission, because I think the only people that lose are the ones that wait around for somebody else to tell them what they're capable of or tell them what they're allowed to do. And instead, what we all should be doing is trying things anyway, seeing if we're good at them anyway, and being more than okay with failing, but feeling proud as hell that we tried. And I really just don't want anybody to not seize an opportunity because they're waiting for somebody to tell them that that's their next move. You know, we have to be our own advocates. We have to be our own champions. And um, even though it's embarrassing and difficult when somebody seems to think you're underqualified, I literally get the DM like, you know, who are you a million times a day? That is the ultimate. um, It's like I'm flattered. You're curious. But also by saying that you're like, can you please tell me what specific credentials you have that allow you to be talking about this thing? And I can't answer that other than I am an expert in the field of my own life and interests that I hoped I would find a critical mass of people that shared the same. And through Be There in Five, the podcast I have, and I love you for it. I wanted to quote one of the greats by assuring you, you know, I I hope above all else that this podcast can serve a purpose. It's what podcast did for me when I was quite depressed and struggling which was act as somewhat of a friend to me. And I, I, I mean it when I say anytime you need a friend, I will be here and you never will be alone again. So don't fear, because even if you're miles away, I'm quite literally by your side and that I'm in your earbuds. Much like Mariah Carey tells us in this gorgeous, perfect song, anytime you need a friend that I just don't hear enough. So anyways, friends, followers, loyal listeners, new people, whoever you are, remember I and Jesus loves you, no matter who you are, where you're from, what you did. But as long as you love me, that is the criteria. And uh, thank you for spending six hours with me. I had a great time. I hope you did too. And I will see you next week with Heather McMahon. And I cannot wait. And with that, let me know your thoughts and I will let you know mine. I'll be there in five. I swear. I'm